Life's busy. Take this deck. There's heaps to do on it. Like, um, polishing off this wine. That's tough. Life's pretty good with a Trex deck. Composite decking with no hard maintenance. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. This is the Saturday Session with Daniel McCarty and Grant Elliott. Do I have to talk, do I? Do I have to talk this morning? Can I just not just watch? Can I not just watch for the next 40 odd minutes? Seriously, can you get off the league? We've got a show Why? to run here, Daniel. Why would I want it's to get off the league? Saturday sesh. Welcome aboard the Saturday sesh on SENZ. He's Grant Elliott. I'm Daniel McCarty. Ben Francis is a bit like me. You're a little bit distracted, aren't you, Ben? Well, who wouldn't be? See, who wouldn't be? Welcome aboard the show. Are you well, Grant? You well, I came in a little bit negative this morning, didn't I? <laughs> a little bit dusty, too. I well. think it's a little bit of a hangover from uh, the cricket. You played a rain card last night, didn't you? I did, uh, and I'm sure there's a lot of cricketers there out there today, especially in Wellington, that would have played a rain card and would have to put that rain card back in the deck for the start. Although when I, when I arrived, it was the end of the world, literally. So I think those cricketers that played the rain card... What I do say in Wellington, well played. Thunder and lightning in Wellington. Thunder and lightning at the Rugby League World Cup. And Australia go in under the bin. No. In the 54th minute of the second half. And that will lock it up at 14 points apiece. That flight might be safe now. Oh, yeah. We'll get into that in just a moment. Um, We'll get into this league uh, in just a second or two, too. Gee, it's, um, it's a full-on morning. Live sport, nothing better, Grant. Nothing better than being on air when there's live sport going on. What's coming up on the show? Well, we'll have our Saturday session legend segment, as per usual, after 11. Absolute legend of sailing joining us, both as a sailor and a commentator. Mr. Peter Lester, can't wait to catch up with him to talk about his long-storied career. Uh, we'll talk the Black Ferns World Cup final against England. We'll Sold out. Fantastic. Sold stuff. out at Eden what Park. What a game that semi-final was. Talk about a joyous occasion that was with the right team winning in the end. Uh, so that is all still to come. Your calls too, 0800 150 811. Lines are open, you'll get through right now. Double eight, double three. if you want to send a text message uh, too. But let's uh, kick off things by giving you some uh, of the latest in sports headlines. The All Blacks have named uh, quite an interesting team. Sort of a decent looking forward back, very um, experimental. I'm not sure that's the right word, backline. But Mark Talia is in there. He'll make his All Blacks debut on the right wing against Scotland. That's Monday morning, Grant. Talia... We'll start on the right wing at Murrayfield, an all-black side that has seven fresh faces and two positional changes from the team that clubbed uh, Wales 55-23 last week, uh, with only Caleb Clark retaining his uh, spot in the back line. Uh, the conversion is over, by the way. Australia now leads uh, the Kiwis 16 points to 14. Geordie Barrett has shifted back to fullback. I wonder why. We've only got about seven tests available before the World Cup. He's your 12, isn't he? Anyway, probably should finish uh, this fine work Ben's uh, pen for us. Uh, that's allowed David Harvey to slot back in at number 12 alongside Fittigan Anton Leonard-Brown. Bowden Barrett moves from fullback to number 10. Finlay Christie gets a nod at halfback. They're the big talking points for Scotland. Finn Russell will start at first five after initially not being named in the squad for the November internationals. Don't know why he's arguably their best player. I think he's had a bit of a run-in with uh, Gregor Townsend, the coach. And the Auckland Tuatara have responded to their season-opening loss to the Brisbane Bandits with a dominant 13-2 win uh, last evening. Uh, headlines at the top of the hour. 
uh, every hour here on the Saturday session. But the big story, of course, is uh, the Kiwis and the Kangaroos locking horns at the uh, Rugby League World Cup. Uh, From what I've watched, uh, the Kiwis able to put Australia under early pressure. However, in that opening 10 minutes, I thought their end of set options were a little bit hurried, a little bit inaccurate. But they got it right in the 11th minute. It was a nicely way to kick that allowed some traffic to get underneath, and it was the sensational player that Joe, Joey Manu is, who took it and offloaded in a split second, and Jerome Hughes was the recipient. He went over, New Zealand score first. But the Kangaroos struck back in the 16th minute, about five minutes later, uh, I would say against the run of play, a kick from the New Zealand 40-metre mark to the left flank, soaring a saw a flying Josh Adokar come onto the ball at full speed to take it at full speed and take it uncontested and... Uh, go over for the try as the New Zealand right winger, I think it was Jordan Rapana, Rapana was uh, turned hopelessly inside and out. The conversion missed. New Zealand still leading 6-4. There was exchange of penalties. Through the first quarter, New Zealand looking really good, using their pack strength uh, with a little extra uh, in their play, more offloads uh, from what I've seen probably throughout this tournament, just helping keep that Australian defence reasonably passive. New Zealand's defence, though, was rather assertive in that first half, sort of grinding the Australians. But on the half-hour mark, Australia showed their class, starting a set on their own five-metre mark. Australia went the length of the field. Grant Holmes and, I think, Whiten uh, broke out of their own 20 metres. Uh, they kept the ball alive during the remainder of the set, then attacked on the fifth tackle. Um, Whiten um, was tackled just a metre out, but somehow offloaded brilliantly, uh, and Val Holmes scored. So I think it was those two who started it, finished it. Uh, It was a period of really um, high-quality play from the Australians. But in the 37th minute, New Zealand showed their own class, uh, keeping the ball alive, some slick catch and pass near the halfway line. So they moved it to the left flank and put uh, Ronaldo Mulatalo away. He passed back on the inside, and Dylan Brown finished it off for New Zealand, and they led 14 points to 10 at the half. Dylan Brown, uh, very, very good in that first half, I thought. Um, First to a real attack in the second half went to Australia. They had great field position, five metres out. They coughed up position. Soon after, New Zealand had a try, scratched off a high kick, ultimately saw uh, New Zealand pick up a loose ball and go in for a try. Now, I had the commentary down at that stage. I think it was scratched off for a a man in front of the kicker. Um, And then Australia, uh, just a short time ago, uh, has uh, burst over to score the uh, opening uh, try of the uh, second half, and they lead 16 points to 14. Uh, If if you've been following this, I'd love to get your thoughts. What's the pulse like? Racing? Is the heart pounding? 0800 you can text us on double eight double three. Probably could say the same thing for the Black Ferns and uh, their fans today, us, uh, as we are a, a, a match against England in a World Cup final. There's another World Cup final going on, Grant, um, tomorrow night. New Zealand won't be involved after a semi-final loss of the T20 World Cup. So these uh, World Cups are hitting at the... The very um, culmination, the excitement. There's a bit of push and shove going on. I think New Zealand have uh, lost the ball 25 metres out from their own goal line in the 59th minute. Gee, there's some good hairdos in that Australian lineup. How's your rugby league commentary, Grant? No, not great. It, it, it isn't great. But what I am enjoying is the mullets that I'm seeing while there's a, a, a bit of a scuffle. There's a, this is the second scuffle I've seen, so it's pretty up. heated. It is a really heated game here with Australia ahead. I mean, I look at it and I, I think that it looks like Australia making less mistakes out there than New Zealand. The pressure might be getting to the Kiwis now, and it's obviously getting a bit heated. Yeah, big hit on sledging. Now, now uh, Solomona uh, saw him uh, drop the ball out, so this is a, a great 
uh, position for which Australia can launch their attack right in midfield, 25 metres out. Call it, Grant. You're a big ra- horse racing fan. You've done cricket commentary on SCNZ. Done tennis. You've done tennis too. Yeah, that was very difficult. Yeah, that was very difficult. Um, Out you, wide. You, you can call the Australians by their haircuts. I just don't there know their names. That's the only thing. Spectacular mullet. Wrestling on the ground and the ball ben goes Francis out. Ben is the resident league expert. How are you feeling, Ben? I'd love to get love to get your um, your take on where New Zealand are at. They've had some really good moments, but um, twenty minutes to go. You now we're now down by two. Yeah, squeaky bum time. Oh, it's it's where you, it's where you really need your uh, your star players like Dylan Brown to to really step up and come up with just one of those magical plays. But you know, if Australia score here, you'd the thing would be pretty tough to come back. I know there's still be twenty minutes to go, but you know, this is just you know reminiscent of. No, just a few years ago when Australia is just on top of the world. On the last little chip, uh, padded back on New Zealand have lost it. Is that six again? It is. Oh dear, oh dear. This isn't looking good, guys. I, I mean, I don't know my rugby league, but Australia look like they're absolutely dominating. Who did you have uh, uh, tipped to win this one, Daniel, today? Well, ba- based on form of the tournament, I thought Australia, both based on pedigree at this tournament, I thought, Australia. But when you looked at the two team sheets, I still had a bit of faith New Zealand, if they fronted, played near their best, could not just run the side close, could beat them. And I looked to the pack in my own mind prior to this game um, as being the way forward. And I saw that in the opening 40 minutes. Australia have conceded a penalty crossing. So New Zealand, poof, breathe easy for the time being. And you were right, that, that try that we saw as I arrived, New Zealand were winning 14-10 uh, after half time. It was someone just in front of the kicker, which is just a small mistake. And it, it's a little bit like the T20s, you know, just those small mistakes that can cost you a final. So if, you, if you've been following this, love to get your thoughts on... Uh, New Zealand's chances from here on in 19 minutes remaining. We'll give you regular score updates and, um, you know, uh, try to tell you descriptions of what's uh, happening here. Uh, Today, though, the Black Ferns up against England. Got to talk about this. England, two-time winners in 1994 and 2014. The reddest of hot favourites, we were told, prior to the tournament, Grant, you might remember. Uh, England head into this World Cup final off the back of a sensational world record now standing at 30 consecutive test victories. They have not tasted defeat since July 2019, and no side has come within uh, 12 points this calendar year heading into the tournament. Though they were not as bulletproof last week to that number. Now, were they against uh, Canada? Canada gave them uh, more than a few frights throughout. Um, But they have had great success against the very best, France, of course, semi-finalists last weekend. Uh, England have beaten them 10 straight times. They've beaten New Zealand twice in their last two encounters. They claimed a fourth successive Women's Six Nations title earlier this year. In that, they conceded four tries and scored 45. Only 10 less than the other five teams combined. That's kind of bonkers. Anything less than a World Cup victory will be hugely disappointing for England, no doubt. But with all of that expectation comes pressure, Grant, doesn't it? The pressure in some way, in many ways, in a lot of ways, is on England. 
Oh, absolutely. I, uh, what I looked up was um, England boasts 1,123 test caps combined compared with the Black Ferns of 409. So they're a far more experienced team. However, um, I hope I've got this right, Daniel, but the head-to-head count actually favours the Black Ferns 18 uh, to 11 against yep. so it's the 30th test against these two nations so it's in favor of the black ferns but this is a, a hugely experienced england team um and also the the winners of the world record 30 consecutive tests as you mentioned so i think it's going to be really tough but the pressure mounts on and we spoke about it in the t20 world cup when you get to semi-finals and finals you have your favorites and Sometimes we always like to go in as being the underdogs because there was less pressure. And I think the Black Ferns do go in as underdogs, whereas the Roses will go in with expectations of winning. And I think with being, you know, the best team in the world, which is what they've been tipped to be, those expectations, they've got one hand on the trophy and fear of failure does come into it. So that's how your leaders approach the, the game. That's how your leaders approach the day. You know, is there consistency in your preparation? Do they try and do something special? Uh, we we listened to, um, I forget who it was, on the show around the league um, final, the grand final, and he spoke about how awful it was with the lead-up because there was just so many events to go to. And in hindsight, he wished that, you know, that hadn't happened. It had just been, you know, a moat around the team, the ability to focus. And I think that that's probably the challenge for the Black Ferns leading up to this game is the noise around the actual game itself. But the crowd will no doubt help the Black Ferns. And we've read, um, on uh, thanks to Google during this show, that you've got a 56% chance of winning if you're a home team uh, in most home games. That's what I read up. So that, well, home teams have won 56% of the time? No, just in general, when right. football, rugby, yeah. Do you believe those stats? No, I don't. No, I That's... think they're absolute nonsense. What I do know is there's a fair bit of expectation on New Zealand too. They are the most successful side in women's rugby history, having five world championships to their name. And any other World Cup year before now, the Black uh, Ferns would and generally are favourites. Uh, yet since the last World Cup final in 2017, New Zealand have been beaten four times by France and twice by England losing four on the trot last year. But there has been quite a turnaround in 2022. Uh, let's take you back to just over a year ago. Uh, England beats New Zealand 43-12 in Exeter. And then back that up with an even a bigger win, Grant, in Northampton. 56 points to 15. They're shellackings. They are thrashings now, aren't they? Uh, prior to that uh, tour, you've got to go back to July 2019. Oh, that's right. New Zealand were the last team to beat England. 28 points to 13 in San Diego it was. And, of course, uh, there was uh, uh, the high-scoring final of 2017 when New Zealand beat England by 41 points to 32 in Belfast in 2017. But much has changed since that Northern Tour. We know uh, England are a professional outfit. We do know New Zealand have played a whole host of games this year. They look like they've really embedded in their combinations, uh, their style of play. Um, and they were able to beat a marquee side in France last weekend, but it probably cannot be ignored. France missed a game-winning winning penalty right on the stroke of four. Oh, I felt sorry for her. I watched that, and I was like, oh, here we go. This is a clutch moment. And, um, yeah, it was... Would you say it was an easy kick? 
win the last minute of a semi-final. I don't think there is an easy kick, but if it's in any other game, you, yeah. you would expect uh, that kick to be made. Yeah, so I mean a kick that she should have made, but given the, the huge moment, she knew that if she made that kick, they were going through to the finals. And it was just one of those clutch moments as, as an athlete that you just you, you don't want to revisit so who, as a who, player. Who's, who's the, who's the favourite in your mind? I can't go past the side who's won 30 test matches in a row. I can't. I, I think England are favourites and all the pressure's on them. New Zealand, let's hope we get a partisan crowd. Can we take a leaf out of Pakistan cricket fans' book? <laughs> Make it loud from the outset. Make it intimidating. Get in behind the Black Ferns uh, at Eden Park. It's going to be a wonderful occasion. Uh, 0800 Love to hear from uh, you about uh, both the Rugby League and the, the World Cup uh, Women's Rugby Final. Uh, the lines are open. Chance for you to uh, join the programme. You can uh, give us a call on 0800 150 or you can text us on double eight double three. Of course, Grant, uh, we will also invite calls um, and reflections on the Black Caps going down in the semi-final uh, to Pakistan uh, or England's uh, thrashing of uh, India oh. in the second semi-final. But maybe I'll start um, by throwing this towards you from Jason, who's uh, texting on double eight double three. Grant, Daniel, why do the Black Caps stumble when it counts most? Yeah, I, that, that was a, a question that um, Ian Healy asked me as well. And I guess we, we, we got over the psychological hurdle in the first game. I think everyone would agree that the way that we approached that game against Australia was quite uncharacteristic for the, um, the Black Caps. Uh, we hadn't won a game in 10 years uh, prior to that, going to the shores of of Australia and all of a sudden we came out the blocks and Finn Allen was taking on Mitchell Stark and they were on the back foot and Australia never got back in the game however for the Black Caps during the semi-final which we'll we'll um, catch up on they were on the back foot from you know after the first ball uh, Finn Allen had a four and then we never really got back into the game afterwards but it's definitely a psychological issue um, getting to finals cricket. One thing I would say is that do we play with enough passion and because we're quite a level team and we pride ourselves on being very level. Whereas I look at Pakistan and Pakistan were like, this is a semi-final. They, they took it up a level and New Zealand, we just, we play on that level plane, which makes us a very consistent team. But do we need to have a little bit more fight, a little bit more passion, a little bit more want um, when it gets to semi-finals and finals, how do you measure that though? I know, and how, it's, how do you measure that? What, because it's showing emotion, and I think you can see it with the players. I mean, you can see it; it's visible with Pakistan, but they're a very emotional team, which is why they're very up and down. It's why they're rocks or diamonds. You know, when things are going well, they're great. When things are going badly, they're awful. And New Zealand are, are consistent. We played a below par game. We didn't play a terrible game, below par. But Pakistan, they were up for it. They just looked up for it. Would I, you agree? Yeah, they did look up for it. I, I thought New Zealand was slightly below par with the bat. I, I, I don't think it was a bad score. I thought it was no. more than a competitive total. And if you bowled well, you're probably in the final. It was we, a par we, score. We, we didn't bowl well. We we were sloppy. We conceded 10 boundaries in the opening eight overs, I think it was. And New Zealand hit 10 fours in the total of their innings. It wasn't an easy surface. But New Zealand's bowling, which has been excellent or had been excellent, up until that point throughout the tournament, just just wasn't there. A couple of missed chances, of course, by Brazam first ball. You look back that at, back at that as a huge moment. Mm. We were we were below par in every facet, 
we're not terribly below par, but just below par. And we ended up getting a par score, which uh, you have to play well. There was still a chance, though, when Pakistan needed 19 of 16 balls and the youthful, no-fear exuberance of, you said to me at the start of the game, watch out for this guy, Muhammad Haris, the 21-year-old, who just smacked Lockie Ferguson through extra cover for four and then whacked him for six, uh, 15 rows back. So I think I think Pakistan, I'm excited for them to be in the final. Mm. I've spent a lot of time in Pakistan. Obviously, I'd like New Zealand to be in the final. But, I mean, it would be amazing for them as a country to, to win this. It really would. I mean, I think that they would shut down uh, the whole Pakistan economy for the next <laughs> three years until the next T20 World Cup. Uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on those three World Cup tournaments. Uh, now the Vanquish Black Caps. Uh, your thoughts on the Black Ferns uh, tonight? Where are you watching it? How are you soaking it in? Oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. And if you're giving an eye on the uh, Rugby League, uh, how nervous are you with ten minutes remaining? New Zealand have soaked up a whole heap of pressure in the last ten minutes. Lots of uh, great field position for the Kangaroos. They have not got over the line. They've not extended that lead. New Zealand now in possession, 40 metres out. 16-14, they do trail. Uh, more to come after this break. 25 minutes after 10 o'clock. This is the Saturday session. Lines always open 0800-150-811. Triple treat of World Cup action. We've got a final tonight. Uh, the Black Ferns up against England. Keen to discuss that with you. Well, uh, New Zealand will not make it through to the final, haven't made it through to the final of the T20 World Cup, and we're hoping uh, the Kiwis can somehow, some way, get back in front of Australia with just six minutes remaining in the semi-final at the Rugby League World Cup. We've uh, seen a wonderful break from deep inside their own half. Uh, Jordan Rapana starting it, busting through a tackle on the left, feeding uh, a teammate on the inside. They raided up inside the 22, then stretched the Australian defence as they moved the ball to the right-hand side. Grant Elliott, they had a three-on-two. Ten metres out, Jerome Hughes decided to grubber it in behind Josh Haddokar, who I know had bitten, had come into the second defender, and there was a space on the outside of Peter Hiku. But Haddokar had to turn, but he's still one of the quickest around. I'm not sure it was the right call. The ball went into the in-goal area. Peter Hiku uh, got the ball down, but he's uh, let from outside the field of play and actually forced it uh, over the line, or on the line, uh, the um, in-goal area sideline on the right-hand side. But New Zealand, after weathering a big storm for 15, 16 minutes when it was all Australia, um, now on the hunt. It looks like a little bit more lease of life as uh, Jerome Hughes kicks uh, to the far side, but he's dragged his kick hopelessly in field, and Josh Adokar can speed away with it. How's the nerves, the jangling, Grant? Oh, I was feeling pretty good until that kick. Uh, they still had another four tackles to go, didn't they, before that the, the grubber kick went through. Great effort to try and get the ball down, but that's going to be a crucial moment. You, you're only five metres out, and you decide, or probably ten metres out, you decide to grubber kick it with four tackles. Well, it was a three on two, and I, I think just moving the ball might be the best uh, course of action, because as I say, Ed O'Carr, the, the widest man defender, had come in uh, to take the, the second of the three New Zealand players, and uh, the, the, the grubber in behind... Um, ultimately has not worked, and now Australia raiding down the left-hand side themselves. Gee, they've gone up the length of the field in the set. They keep the ball alive with 10, to, 10 minutes to go, then uh, finally brought down. So uh, fifth uh, tackle to come. It's Australia 16-14. Uh, it was 14-10 to Australia at the half as they crashed, clearied within one of the lines. They've made 82 metres in that play. Uh, will be a handover right on the goal line as uh, they decide to attack on the last to Australia and uh, 
it remains 16-14. All right, uh, Grant, let's uh, get your thoughts on the T20 World Cup final. That is England up against Pakistan. We've talked uh, very briefly about uh, where New Zealand went wrong. Um, uh, our little cricket segment in association with PGG Rights and Turf, key suppliers of New Zealand cricket grounds. Uh, I want to talk about the semi-final between India and England. Holy cow, as the late, great Martin Crowe would say. I woke up to a lot of tweets from you. <laughs> I, I must admit, I went to bed, I saw um, uh, a little bit of it. Uh, India at the start, and then I was like, oh, I better get some, some sleep in, and woke up to a 10-wicket victory from England. I mean, Well, I did say to you, if there's one period of the game you want to watch, it's the Indian new ball bowlers against that mm. destructive English batting pair. Because India get the ball to swing around beautifully. Was Kumar, it swinging? Kumar's first over, hooping it both ways. So it was swinging through the air, but also I looked at, let, let's talk about their innings. Virat Kohli got 50 or 40 balls. Maybe similar sort of innings to Kane Williamson the other night. It's sort of like, you know, getting a score over 40, but not quite kicking on to get that 70, 80 odd. Well, they doubled their score from overs 14 to 20. Yeah. So they timed their their push late. How many down were they? They they had wickets in hand. Yeah, Hardik Pandya came in and just and, and went crazy. Um, I think it after re- taking a while to get settled. Yeah, well, it was like sixteen off sixteen. I think it was before he put the the foot down. But on reflection, there were too many dot balls, and they there weren't enough boundaries for India. So they played quite a a pensive game, and I think the same would be said against uh, like. New Zealand. I think New Zealand played a little bit of a, a, a safe game. They thought that maybe by playing a safe game they could win it, but unfortunately T20 cricket, it takes one player in the opposition to do well. Well, in this case, for England, it was two players, the opening batters, Joss Butler, who is explosive and, and dynamic, and uh, Alex Hales, who knows the Australian conditions very well. Um, he's played in the Big Bash um, for a number of years. And um, once he gets going, those long levers, it's tough to stop him. Gee, it was good to watch. He, he started the onslaught, then Butler got in on the act. He was a little bit slower to the party. Uh, but once he got going, geez, he's a fine player. Uh, so India's bowlers did not front at all. They looked absolutely dead and buried body language-wise after about five overs. Um, and India, with all their resources, all their manpower, uh, once again come up short. They shouldn't. They should never lose. India, with their population and love of cricket, they should never lose. Yeah, we'll talk about the final in just a moment. I think it's only at with uh, now into the 80th minute. 60 seconds remain in the semi-final. New Zealand 30 metres out as they swing the ball to the left-hand side. We'll probably just call this action. We'll describe this action um, as uh, we hope New Zealand can overturn this uh, two-point deficit. They go to the sky. The kick is taken brilliantly. The high-rising, I think Latrell Mitchell has come down with it, and he's also got up with a bit of an injury to soak a bit of time out. But it looks like Australia are on their way to the World Cup final as uh, New Zealand just did not have the polish over the last uh, 10 minutes on attack. It was the Jerome Hughes kick from uh, central position. I think he's looking to kick that a little bit wider to the right-hand flank of the field. It's uh, landed infield, and uh, Latrell Mitchell's actually taken that uh, virtually uncontested. So a disappointing um, 
result coming the way for the Kiwis with just 15 seconds on the clock. They led 14 points to 10 in the first half, which uh, I thought overall they were the better of the two sides. Australia just uh, stung them with, uh, you know, their their brilliance. Uh, that try they worked from uh, inside their own five to score as the siren sounds and Australia are through. New Zealand are out. Australia will go to another World Cup final at a rugby league tournament. Gee, they've got an incredible record. New Zealand look utterly distraught, devastated, uh, frustrated, to say the least. Bugger. That's probably a nice way to describe it. Doesn't have the same feel to uh, me being at Suncorp. They won the final against Australia. Yeah, they had to weather a whole heap of pressure from Australia being in that second half, a lot of possession, a lot of field ter- uh, position for uh, the Australians. So credit New Zealand's defence that they had the resolves to withstand that. But they had their moments in that last 10, 12 minutes as they got some ball, made a couple of breaks, but I've described it, just a lack of polish on an attack. Is that, is that a fair way to describe it? You are the league guru amongst us, Ben. I get quite frustrated by this because it's something I noticed the Warriors do, and of course I'm no rugby league player nor playmaker, but I get really infuriated when they kind of keep going with the same game plan when it isn't working. So they kept kicking it to Josh Adokar's corner, but he was so safe under the high ball. It's kind of like, why do you keep doing that? Why do you keep doing the exact same play when he's not making a mistake? He's not getting put under any pressure. And it, and it feels like when you do moment, little moments like that, you it, I don't want to say it's like conceding, but it's... It's infuriating. Try something different because, like I said, I've seen the Warriors do it time after time, and I, I literally just saw that again in the last 10 minutes. Like, that, that last play kick just wasn't good enough, and it's it's just a frustrating end of a end of play to when, you, when the game's on the line and you have to come up with something, and kind of that's the play you come up with. It, it is frustrating, but the Kiwis did have opportunities, and... They just didn't take them, and that's what it comes down to sometimes. Yeah, I think from memory, one of the Australian tries is they ran it on the last, didn't they? They, they were willing to, to mix it up, take the odd gamble with uh, that last uh, play option. Uh, New Zealand, as Ben has rightly pointed out, seemingly going to that uh, kick to the right-hand side. Often they were a little bit short. In fact, the, the one that led uh, to the try, I'm not sure he's got the ball exactly where he wants to kick it, He's just got it into an area where there's a bit of traffic. And it was Joey Manu's brilliance uh, to, to bring it down and offload it in one motion. Uh, that New Zealand, led New Zealand to crash over for that uh, opening try. But uh, Australia have won 16 points to 14. The dream is over for the Kiwis. There'll be no repeat of uh, 2008 and a ch- uh, world title for the Kiwis. Uh, going down 16 points to 14. They led 14 points to 10 in the first half. Uh, at the end of the first half. So they've been shut out in the second, haven't they? Uh, That's quite telling. No points conceded, uh, so credit to Australia uh, for coming back and uh, winning. Mm. Mm. Yeah, a bit deflating, especially with the bet I had. I had that running bet for a good part of almost two weeks. The Black Ferns to win it, the uh, Kiwis to make the final, and the Black Caps to make the final. That's why my bet's not showing. I said to you, so, I said, so you got why is my bet not showing? So you you got, said because the game's going, and got, I forgot black caps. Right, so, you, so you've got both wrong. I got both wrong. Yeah. But it was a, it was a goodie. It was, uh, it was a good, no, that's not a good bet. That's a bad bet when you've got two out of your first three legs wrong. Well, it's wow. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the third one will come in. Hopefully it Well, does. let's hope that. That'll, that'll make me feel good. I, I really want the Black Ferns to win. But let me tell you something that has happened that while I've been searching around, while you've been talking league with Ben Francis, the Pakistan fans, who we'll talk about a little bit later in the show, they might be doing a rain dance because... Well, there's not going to be a World Cup final, Grant. That's the thing. They're saying that because... It was one of my tweets the other night. It was, don't look at the weather forecast for Melbourne. Yeah. Rain Sunday, rain Monday, the reserve day. So even the reserve day. So are the Pakistan fans going to be doing a rain dance? Do they want it to rain because it'll be a shared World Cup trophy? What? Well, shared. Now, that annoys me. Shared trophy. Now, that annoys me. So they're willing to share this title. Just like... Can't they come up with some contrived bullshit? Like, who's who's hit the most singles backward as square on a Wednesday? This almost irritates me as much as when they shared that gold trophy in the high jump. Do you remember how <laughs> that irritated me? I'm like, there has to be a winner. The Olympics. I feel like you I'm... You got irrationally angry over that. Modern day yeah. school now. Everyone gets a certificate. I'm not up for that. There's a winner and there's a loser. You need to learn how to lose well. That's that's what children need to learn to do. Not everyone gets a t- certificate, and it shouldn't be a shared trophy. Should, the ICC needs to come up with something here, a new rule. Okay. Should we get back back to our job of looking at the T20 World Cup uh, and our cricket segment in association with PGG Rights and uh, PGG Rights and Turf Premium Suppliers of Turf Seed and Maintenance Products to cricket grounds across New Zealand. Pakistan v. England. Oh, come on. Break it down for us. It's batting v. bowling. A high-octane, ridiculously-powered batting lineup of England that had Rashid Khan coming in at number 11 uh, for the semi-final. Probably the best number 11. Not Rashid Khan. Not Rashid Khan. Uh, I was like, like, it hasn't uh, changed nations. Oh, just an absolute shocker. Shane Shafridi, maybe. (laughs) Well... I'll, while you gather your thoughts, I will back you up by saying England, and I said it at the start, England have the most explosive batting lineup. When I look at their batting lineup, I was thinking about it, and I thought, who from the New Zealand team would make this batting lineup? Because they, they've they gone for players that strike the ball. Everyone strikes it over 130. But they're going for a team that looks to score 200. They need true conditions, England, to be able to do that. If the conditions were like the the semi-final conditions that New Zealand played in, that's when you actually need your test players. And it showed because Barbara Azam scored runs and Kane Williamson scored runs. Mohamed Rizwan scored Yeah, and when it's, when it's flat, it doesn't really matter. Players can hit through the line. Now, all these England players, you wouldn't say that they're test greats. They are players that go in there to look at getting the, the, the score rate going. And um, Pakistan need a little bit of swing in the air. They need a pitch, and MCG has swung. If they can get swing early on, get early wickets, they need to get into this middle order of England, they've got a chance. But if England uh, start well and look to, to hold wickets early on in the, the power play like they did with Joss Butler and uh, Alex Hales, I think it'll be tough because Bowler's immediately gone the defensive. Adil Rashid was the man I was... Adil Rashid. ...who was batting at number 11 because uh, Chris Jordan came into the side too because no, there was no Mark Wood. I think that's a, it's a key element for England, getting him back fit, and hopefully uh, he can take his place. You want to see the best sides for uh, a final. But this uh, Pakistan bowling lineup, they've got six legitimate options. We, we talked about, are they a battle light? Well, it, it, it's, it's a battle of styles in some ways, isn't it? I quite like it because what they've done is they've hedged their, all their, uh, their bets on 
playing that extra bowler, meaning that they're not going to go for as many runs, um, in which case it brings Baba Azam and, and Rizwan into the game because they're not the, the most free-flowing batters uh, like England are. So it means that Pakistan, if an opposition gets 160, 170, they've got a really good chance. Anything over 170, I always feel like they're going to struggle unless they get a Baba Azam 100 which is what Baba did when they played England recently in Pakistan. Baba's back, baby. Baba is back. And we, we said it before the game, form is temporary, class is permanent. Baba Azam came back. Don't drop him first ball, England. Oh, yeah, that, that was. For those of you that didn't watch, there was an opportunity. First delivery, Trent Bolt swung the ball back and held its line. He nicked it to Devin Conway, who was wrong-footed, dived to his right, got a good bit of his hand on it, almost hit the index finger. I said with the old wicket-keeping pouch, which looks like a baseball mitt, it probably would have you know, held in the glove, but goes down as a missed chance, and you miss those players, those world-class players, they make you pay, and that's exactly what Baba Azam and, and Rizwan did. So they're passionate, the Pakistan players. They're enthused, they're running high, and when Pakistan are running hot, they're amazing. So I just... I don't yeah, know. But England were running boiling at boiling level. They are, but Pakistan, when they're running hot and on, on emotions and high on emotions, that's what I was saying about the New Zealand team. They are emotionless. Doesn't matter what game they play in. Whereas Pakistan ride emotions. So they'll don't be. Don't tell me Alex Hales was emotional the other night. He was emotional when he was interviewed when he next was to Owen Morgan. He was playing angry. Yeah. He was playing assertively. That's what I mean, yes. though. You have to play with a little bit of passion and emotion in a semi-final or final. Bring it, and Pakistan will. That's a, our look at the T20 World Cup and the final uh, in association with PGG uh, Wrightson. Do appreciate their support. 19 away from uh, 11 o'clock. If you're just uh, switching off Spark Sport and now flicking the radio back on and you've uh, come to terms, or well, you maybe probably haven't come to terms with New Zealand coming up so short against uh, the Kangaroos at the Rugby League World Cup, 16 points to 14. We're here. Therapist couch is here. You t- take, a li- take a lie down. <laughs> Let's talk through it. Lines will remain open. 0800 You can text us on double eight double three. back after this. Double eight double three. send him text messages too. Let's get to a couple of them. Our lines are always open for you, 0800-150-811. Uh, some texts have backed up. Grant, we kind of answered this, but we didn't get a definitive answer. This makes sense. It's from Brendan over the hill in Masterton who writes, Morning, gents. Now the Black Caps are out of the T20 World Cup. Who do you think will win the title and why? You, you explained the relative strengths of the sides. I don't think you actually stuck your neck out, Grant. So no, I didn't. Um, I, I'd have to go with my initial thoughts, which is I think that England have the, the best balanced team so do I. in the competition. And I think that they're, they're, they're actually leading the way in terms of how they want to play T20 cricket. They're so aggressive. Yeah. I'm with you. I think England win this. Mm. My tip prior to the tournament, our smoky was Pakistan. England, uh, yeah. Uh, kind of did suggest England-Pakistan might happen. Uh, I'll tell you, mate, uh, Chris from the Gove Golf Club in the Northern Territories. Oh, he was cutting the, lawns cutting last lawns time, last week. He writes, morning, lads. Maybe uh, they gave, uh, gave a game of indoor cricket to decide the final, question mark. No. I think, Chris, what should happen, we were talking about this off air, <laughs> it should be take the covers off, even if it's raining, doesn't matter, because you're only going to use the pitch for 12 deliveries, and those 12 deliveries will be a bowl-off, the old-fashioned bowl-off no, at the stumps. I, I want... Bring out your fastest bowler. 
you got six balls each. Who can bowl the fastest ball? Harris, Ralph, yeah. and Mark Wood. Yeah, mate, you'd get billions watching that. Uh, and Richie writes, Daniel, is it true if the Black Ferns-Roses game is still a draw after extra time that the winner will be determined by which uh, country's team hit the most boundaries during the T20 World Cup cricket semi-final uh, this week? Richie. Uh, Richie. That's tongue-in-cheek there, Richie. Richie. Well, we all know who's, uh, uh, who's, who's got the wood on that one. Um, yeah, please England. don't bring that up again, don't. the boundary count. Don't. Kumar. We got fired up with uh, uh, Kumar Damasina, didn't we, every time we saw him on screen? Oh, uh, no, it's 12 away from 11. I need a break after that, text. Thanks, Richie. <laughs> It is eight minutes away from 11 o'clock. This is the Saturday session, double eight, double three. Keep your messages rolling through. 0800 is our telephone number, though. Right now, we are going to go to the Ocho, the quirky, the bizarre, and at times, gory sporting stories you may have missed out on. Let's start with gory. Uh, Edmonton Oilers uh, forward uh, Evander Kane, Grant Elliott, may have taken out the award for sports most gruesome injury uh, for the year after being cut on the wrist by a skate blade in a match against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, Kane was knocked to the ground during the match, and Pat Maroon accidentally skated over his wrist, ah. which resulted in blood pouring out all over the ice. Kane was rushed to hospital and underwent emergency surgery, and he's going to be out for three to four months. Oh, oh I feel queasy. Speaking in the days after, he says, he's never seen so much blood in his life. The cup so deep. It almost got to the bone. Oh, did they? Oh. oh, no, no. What have you got? I, we we need to talk further about that. Um, <laughs> really? Do we? Well, you know, in, in some cricket games, um, I'll speak to you about that later. Yeah. I've got to get to my story, though. Sports games can often be stopped for many reasons, but a broken camera saw an NFL game suspended for 12 minutes. What? With just under nine minutes left to play in the third quarter of the Bills-Jets, there was a Skycam malfunction as one of the cables that was holding up the camera snapped, which left it floating too closely to the field. It's those spider oh, cams. I see. So not, spider just, cam. not just one camera failed, it was the spider one yes. hovering above the ground, so it was actually running the risk of in, uh, interfering with play. Wire snapped, and then it's yeah. obviously dangerous because it could clean out. Didn't that happen during a Cricket World Cup? No, but uh, on occasions it does get hit, the camera gets hit, and then it should be dead ball. I do remember one at like uh, Backward Point region and players were going up to it and tapping it. It's awful. Because might not have been during a World Cup, might have just been a bilateral series. When the catch goes up and you've got the spider cam moving in the background. Oh, here we go. Another excuse from a cricketer about not being able to catch a ball. <laughs> you take the catch. No, I had Richard Petrie telling me the black sky. It's very hard to see a white ball. What? The black sky. Black on white. No. Yeah, anyway. And uh, there has been some outstanding world records broken in the last week. Firstly, 20-year-old uh, Georgia Schooley, uh, she's achieved the record of most rotating puzzle cubes solved in 24 hours with an incredible 6,931. The previous record was only 5,800. Go, George. Well, uh, Gregory Foster is on fire after achieving yet another chili-eating record as he ate 10 of our favourite oh. Carolina Reaper chilies. In 33 seconds. That's going to hurt. That is going to hurt. 33 seconds. The guy is mad. I am stuck in the middle of you two and I don't like it. I don't like it. 11 o'clock. This is the Saturday session. Our number is 0800 150 Do you want to know number Someone 19? Call. Someone just please call. I, don't, I want to talk to you, not these two. Number 19 was a long jumper <laughs> getting hit by a javelin. I don't want to know or see. Stop showing me these images. 
Prior to the break, during our odd show, the weird sporting stories you probably have missed, uh, Evander Kane was in our thinking after slashing his wrist open to the bone in an ice hockey game, blood all over the floor, or the ice. Grant Elliott and Ben Francis have just been listing off the great worst sporting injuries in sport. Grant, I'm already suffering of the fact that the Kiwis lost to Australia in the rugby league. 16-14. If you watch that game, you're now back with us. Love to get your thoughts. I thought New Zealand were the better side in the first half. 14 points to 10. Uh, in hindsight, needed to be a little bit uh, uh, more than that because Australia was so clinical for long periods of that second half. And it wasn't only until the last 10 minutes New Zealand really uh, got a sniff of uh, their half, uh, but did have a couple of big moments. Uh, go begging. I'd love to get the thoughts of uh, league fans who've... Uh, Paid attention to that. Sports fans have watched it. Uh, give us your instant uh, reaction. 0800 150811. Well, Grant, Ellie, you, you're just you're just rattling off your favourite sporting injuries. No, I'm not anymore. I got I got past number 17, and it just yeah it was pretty. <laughs> Don't Google uh, the most gruesome sporting injuries because yeah, there's some horrific ones. What's the worst you've seen in your? <clears throat> Well, it was only uh, post-injury. Uh, we didn't realize at the time, but Ross Taylor got hit in the uh, box in the nets by an each sodi innocuous, you know, uh, googly. And it hit him in the box, and obviously everyone laughs. Next thing, he finds himself in hospital. Um, he had... Why do you all laugh at that? Oh, it's always funny. <laughs> it's not, but it, you've had it happen to you, right? Oh, it's awful. <laughs> but, so why do you laugh? So... I brought it's, it's kind of a, there's a there's a lot to that. I, I need to dig a little bit deeper. I've had it happen to you. You know how painful it is, but yet you laugh at well someone I, it happens. I I actually created something which a lot of players do use now, and I I don't know who I got it from, but I did get it from a cricketer in South Africa, and not the actual device. But you put two boxes on top of each other, and you tape them together. And the first box takes the um the blow. It doesn't and, splinter, and then it, yeah, and it also, um, and then the second one kind of is is quite firmly on there, so there's no vibrations, and it doesn't hurt; it just bounces off. Um, some people put three in there, um, but if you've got the one one box, you can be in a world of pain, and it is, it's always always funny, not for the person involved. But Ross ended up going to hospital in Harare, and. Um, uh, yeah, there was. It was pretty grim. There was no one laughing when you no. saw how he bad did, it was. He did send a photo, which. Oh right! Yeah. Oh, that's good of him. Yeah. Check this out, lads. Wasn't great. <laughs> yeah. Getting opened up in Harare. It wouldn't be very nice skating on the ice with blood everywhere. Well. Or, or going out to bat with blood on the pitch. So. Have you got a story of that? Yes, I do have a story about that. No, so that would terrible. Alan Donald in his heyday. Yeah. The guys were telling me as I, I was a youngster playing in the team, they said, oh, you know, one of the games we were playing here was a night game. And it was um, Alan Donald ran in and hit someone in the in the helmet. Next thing, blood streaming down. He walked off. Next batter's gone in, Dean Lang, who looked down, and there was just blood on the crease line. And Alan Donald at the top of his run-up. So that that wouldn't be... Great, going into bat. There was also the story about someone getting stretched off uh, from Alan Donald. So <laughs> you're next into bat, and the stretcher comes out, and good luck. I'm just, I'm laughing, be not aggressive. at the guy being stretched off. I'm laughing at what must be going through the mind of oh, the next guy coming out. The budgies. Blood on the wicket. Budgies what? in your head. What, 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 what sort of life choices have I made to put myself in this position as a guy 
In those days, he'd be, you know, bowling mid one fifties. He was he was frightening. Yeah, he? he was a white lightning. But it's I mean we've got fear of failure dialogue going on in our head anyway. But oh. when you see a stretcher and you've got the quickest bowler in the world, you know, at the top of his mark. Paul from Christchurch, can you stop sending messages like this? Because Grant is going to search it, and he'll make me watch, and I don't have the constitution for it. Check out David Bus tackle commentary versus Man United, vomit-inducing. No, no, <laughs> no. Maybe, Grant, now turn your computer around, and now you can have a look at it. <laughs> Should we have a live reaction? Uh, in the interim, uh, let's give you uh, headlines at the top of the hour. Yeah, huge disappointment for the Kiwis at the Rugby League World Cup. Uh, they have been eliminated at the semi-final stage. 16 points to 14 by Australia. They were shut out New Zealand in the second half because they led by 14 points to 10. They had to soak up a lot of pressure uh, from a very clinical uh, Australian outfit uh, in the second half, more so in the second half than the first Australia as far as being clinical. Uh, New Zealand had some moments in the final 10 minutes, but uh, could not find a way over the line. They did have a uh, try chalked out in the um, second half for a player in front of the kicker. 16-14, uh, England and Samar on the second semi-final. That's at 3.30am tomorrow. Lake Ferns halfback, Kendra Coxedge, will play her final game in tonight's rugby uh, World Cup final against England at Eden Park. A member of the 2010-17 winning squads and Saturday's her 68th outing in the black jersey. She is the most capped black fern, holds the record for most points scored. The match in Auckland has sold out and a record crowd is expected with kickoff at 7.30. And New Zealand's Ryan Fox and Luke Donald share the lead at the Nedbank Golf Challenge in Sun City where lightning and then rain interrupted the second round. The co-leaders have played only three holes out when the rain was... Um, too bad for play to continue. There is the very latest in sports headlines. Uh, Grant Elliott, have you watched that? Oh, it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. You know it's not good when Peter Schmeichel was right there as the, the goalkeeper. He collected the ball and the player's lying right in front of him. And he throws the ball out to the sideline then puts his gloves over his eyes and runs away. <laughs> wow. I'm never watching that. You want to see some gruesome no, injuries? Just watch some skateboarding, no, guys. Why? Watch some skateboarding. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you two? Richard, you should have called, not text, because you've got great thoughts, and you would have stopped this conversation. Fantastic game by the Kiwis. Australia made a lot of errors, and we were excellent, but unfortunately, we just couldn't quite get there. Australia came back strong in the end. Feel a little ripped off. Uh, with the disallowed try at the start of the second half. Love to get your thoughts on it, Richard. As I said at the top of the program, I had the commentary down at that stage, and uh, sort of guessing while it was uh, chalked off, I thought there was a man in front of the kicker. Yeah, that's what it looked like. Yeah. Definitely um, looked I, th I thought he was clearly in front of the kicker. If, if you saw something different, or if it, in fact, it uh, might have been for something else, love to get your thoughts. Um, and here's an unnamed uh, message. Bugger, looks like kicking cost us in the league. I'd agree um, with that. Kicking general field kicking rather than goal kicking. They actually uh, kick their goals, unlike uh, some in some of the other games at uh, this uh, tournament. Well, injuries. Oh. We're not, we not going on to that. But uh, um, I tell you what, there was the Neil Wagner injury. Do you remember that? The worst cricketing injury I've ever seen was David Lawrence at the Basin Reserve. A burly fast bowler, sort of a front-on action, you know, Turkey jerky. I wish you could all see Daniel McCarty's front on action. Yeah, okay, charging in, and his back leg landed, slipped, 
and his knee snapped. And you could hear it go off like a gun mm. at the Basin Reserve. And, but, and then what follows is the most devastating cry of agony and pain that you associate more with something in the movies, let alone on a sporting field. It was horrific. It will, it will live in my memory for years. And whenever I, I, I ever see that come up, it's like, I'm not watching that. No way I'm watching that. I think if you had a front-on action with what you just showed me, you you would really get injured. (laughs) The the knee's the least of your worries. (laughs) You look like Paul Adams, the old frog in the blender, (laughs) stealing a hubcap off a moving vehicle. That's what it looked like, that action. Okay, so if you've got horrific injuries you want to talk about, double eight, double three. Grant Elliott wants uh, to look at more YouTube videos, don't you? You're a sick man. No, I don't. You're a sick man. No, I don't. You're a sick man. Look as at I Matt said, Hoffman, I got to... Grant, Matt Hoffman. Oh, <laughs> no, stop it, please. I got to the 25 most horrific sporting injuries. I got to 17, and I couldn't, I couldn't look past that. Daniel McCarty has now exited the building. He has exited. That puts me in the driver's seat now, Ben. It's just you and me. Promotion. And, you know, when I, when I think about... You know the the cricketing oh, I feel um, better now. injuries. Um, Daniel Flynn comes to mind. Uh, where he, he's got his face rearranged, didn't he? Yeah, it was the old helmet and those C- CD helmets. The grill ended up hitting him in the mouth, but in the slow motion, you see the tooth coming out. But the the benefit of that is he went to saw the de- dentist the next day. Compliments of New Zealand cricket got a fresh grill, didn't he? Oh, really? nice new grill. Yeah. Oh, if only, if only. Uh, we're at 10 minutes after 11 o'clock. Keep your reaction, double eight, double three. not only, not only to the horrific sporting injuries. Why don't we go down that path? But I'd uh, love to get your instant reaction on the Kiwis Kangaroo semi-final at the Rugby League World Cup. And uh, how are you feeling about the Black Ferns up against England? I'm very nervous. I ha- I can't go past the side who's won 30 straight test matches. I'm no New Zealand's at home. The, this might just be an emotional hedge, Grant. And you know what? You can throw that uh, barb at me completely understand because I'll be thrilled I'll be delighted I'll be doing cartwheels and we all know how physically uh, difficult that would be for a person <laughs> of my shape and size to actually pull one off um, I'll be delighted if I'm wrong but yeah can you just bowl one front on action delivery if we win Fafafafani de Villiers we will take a short break though because on the other side it's time to dig into a really really fascinating sporting career both you know in his chosen field as an, an a standing athlete, but also behind the mic, um, covering the sport for so very, very long. He, he needs uh, little introduction. A wonderful career, career in sailing and broadcasting. We can't wait to catch up with Peter Lester to talk about his uh, very long-storied career on the water. 16 minutes after 11 o'clock. Great to have your company on the Saturday session. I'm Daniel McCarty. Grant Elliott is alongside. Time now for our Saturday session Legends segment. I think legendary Keith thinks Somerset Retirement Villages as we catch up with a, an athlete, a coach, team uh, to reflect on not only sporting careers but uh, moments in time, seasons. Uh, this one we are going to, I don't know how we describe this uh, because a story career um, across many, many a year, uh, both as a competitor and a, a brilliant broadcaster as well. Uh, yachtsman, sailor and broadcaster Peter Lester is a name familiar to many of us, and we're utterly delighted to welcome into the show. Peter, thanks so much for dropping by. Do we find you well? Great to have you on the show, yeah, Peter. 
Oh, thanks, guys. No, no, yeah, it's good. What a beautiful morning. Just stunning out there after a crap day yesterday. <laughs> Where are you these days? I'm in Auckland. Uh, out, what we a... live out in Glendower, out, out in the eastern suburbs. Yeah, it's great out here. Oh, well, I'm glad you're having a good day, Peter. Um, I ran into thunder, lightning, and raindrops the size of Daniel McCarty coming down outside the TAB uh, studio here. Uh, Peter, I want to I kick things off. Uh, um, uh, you know, uh, looking at your career and your life journey, it's fascinating. You, you've done everything. You know, you've been a high-performance manager. You've been a commentator. You've been a skipper. Um, you've been a coach. Of all those those roles that you've done, which one have you enjoyed the most? Oh, mate, when you've got a long CV, it just means you're bloody old and probably at the end of your career. <laughs> but, uh, well, for me, yeah, you know, I, I was born in, in Littleton, down in Christchurch, and um, I was really fortunate in those early years in some ways to get a hell of a lot, because my mum and dad had nothing. They, they were just normal Kiwi folk. Uh, and sailing is quite an expensive sport because of the travel, yes. as, as you got, as you know, and, and because of the equipment. Um, and I was so lucky in Christchurch and in Littleton that the community at that time helped me out enormously. And, and if it hadn't have been for, for that in those very informative years, I, I would never, ever have dreamt of achieving what I, what, what I was lucky enough to do. And then, and then in terms of achievements, I sort of... I sort of think, you know, I, I was a, a handy enough yachtsman, but not, not in the league of the likes of Peter Burling or, or Russell Coots. But the stuff I did win came at the right time, and it meant that it gave me a, a bit of a foot up into the, into the next level. So I, I was really lucky. Probably, look, the one I look back on, it, obviously, if I won a Worlds when I was quite young. I was 21 in Auckland, uh, sailing a dinghy called an OK Dinghy. And, and in many ways, that just opened up so many doors for me because I, I was still living in Christchurch. I, I came to Auckland for six months to train for that one. I had actually got second in the world two years before in Helsinki. So I was there or thereabouts. But um, I, I was just so lucky. I came to Auckland, met some really, really top people in terms of the industry that surrounds the yachting industry, boat builders, sail makers. Um, and that meant that the hardware that I had got better when I got to Auckland because, you know, I could I could just tap into people that knew more than a hell of a lot more than I did in terms of making the boat go faster. And and as it turned out, the week of the the regatta, it it, it suited me. It's a bit like today actually. It was sort of because I'm not a big guy, but it was like mm. to moderate and I and I was fast in those conditions off Takapuna. Won the first three races then hung on like hell to the end of the regatta and, and, and just snitched it. Yeah. So that really set me on a, on a, on a path then of, of opportunity. You describe you're a product of your community initially. Can you just elaborate on that? What, what lengths did they go to really give you a huge leg up? And it's, you know, it's a credit to you, you, you sort of thank them initially off the bat. Um, well, Littleton's a small place, uh, you know, a little little port town of, of, of Christchurch um, and my dad was actually on the waterfront he was a wharfie and, and I can remember I, I qualified to go to Bermuda and I must have been only 18, 19 uh, for the very first laser world so the lasers the class they use at 
the Olympics for um, single-handed sailing. And, and I can remember going back to my employer at that time, and I was actually a clothing cadet at Lane Walker Rudkin. Quite a lot of Cantabrians you know, of that era um, would go on these cadetships with, with, you know, with business. So I was there, and I remember coming back from Auckland after getting second in this trial. And, and I was so happy. You know, I've got an opportunity. I'm going to go to Bermuda for this world champs. And they, the, the guys at Lane Walker Road could say, well, actually, we're not going to give you leave. And I remember going home and I was absolutely, de- I was absolutely devastated. I thought, oh, you know, this is, this is, my, this is what I want to do. And, the, and my dad said to me, well, you know, what's the issue? You know, I said, well, it's funding, it's opportunity, time to train. And um, then a couple of days later, I got a, I got a call from the, the president of the Littleton Watersiders Union. He said, um, come down and have a chat. Now, Littleton is a closed community, you know, not a hell of a lot of young, young sportsmen live in Littleton at that time. I mean, later on, you had the Bashups and the Majors, of course, who, who were fabulous rugby players. So I went down to see this guy and he said, well, would you, would you, um, you know, contemplate become joining the union? I said, no, <laughs> not interested. I, I, you know, I, I like where I am. And he said, but if you come here, you know, we'll help you out and um, we'll give you some funding and you can have all the time you like to go training. And and I remember, he said, come to a union meeting. So I went to this union, and I'm not a unionist, I've got to say. I went to... And, and they talked, you know, talked and talk. And there were buckets at the at the hall, at the entrance to the hallway. Um, and and I knew nothing. And, and at the end of it, the, these the guys were going out at that time. There were there were like fourteen hundred men on the Littleton waterfront. Um, and they all were putting money in these buckets. I thought, what the hell is going on here? And and at the end of it, the little announcement was made, thanks for your contribution, and that will help um, Gordon Lester's son, Peter, go to Bermuda. And and that was how it all started. And and to this day, it was that it was that generosity that gave me such a leg up, because honestly, we, we did not have um, a hell of a lot of wealth in our family. And then the second one, uh, later on, just before I moved to Auckland, um, I was lucky enough to, to hook up through sailing again with a, a gentleman in Christchurch called uh, Cecil C.S. Stevens, and he owned a meat uh, processing plant in, in Christchurch called Ashley Meats, and my boats were called Ashley Meats. And, and essentially, I got on really well with him. He was really, and I thought, and, and he was, a, a wealthy man. I was not. And he supported me, like, for the next 10 years, just with air tickets if I needed a new sail or if I needed yeah. something. He helped me out, and um, that's sort of how it all happened. And, and from there, you know, got up here, uh, got some opportunities, and you live your dream, don't you? Peter, that's such an awesome, uh, inspiring story, I think, for for anyone that's in their community that wants to help sports stars, you know, with, with a dream. Uh, you, you Obviously, you got support from the community, but you couldn't have got as far um, as you have in your career if you weren't passionate about it who's someone that you look back at um early on in your career um where you think wow that person really instilled the passion of of sailing into me which is is still with you now i can hear it in your voice um again i go back to those informative years in christchurch and and um the manda family peter manda was our first olympic gold yep. medalist for sailing yep. in, in melbourne in well, 56 
and and they certainly were role models. There was a guy also uh, who went to the Olympics in uh, Munich, uh, Brett Desir, who who allowed me to train with him on the water. He was a legend. I was just a kid. Um, they had a huge influence, and I, I think I touched when I moved to Auckland, and I I, I could tap into the industry up here. There was a, a guy who was a boat builder called Tim Gurr, uh, who actually built Peter Blake's boats. Uh, and and Tim just tweaked the boat for me, you know, like would build me a rudder or build me a centreboard, would tell me to get off my ass and train harder, and, <laughs> you know, and, and, and invite me down to the Monda there for a couple of quiet ones if we had a good day on the water. And and Tim certainly, hard, you know, he had a he had an influence as well. But there you go, you know, you sort of think who who really made a difference in in terms of my sporting career. Um, we're lucky in New Zealand, a bit like cricket grant, you know, we're lucky that we have this standard that you've got to reach if you want to get to the next level and that is the expectation. You see it with America's Cup now. You know, there's no pissing around. You get out there and you do the work and leave your ego at the door and just get on with business. And and when I moved to Auckland, that was the difference because when you're not living up here doing sailing, you think, oh, those guys, you know, how can I ever get to that level? When you're here and you live and breathe it, if that's what you want to do, you know, the, the step up the ladder doesn't seem so steep. And, um, yeah, the, the, those, uh, you know, it's pretty hard pulling out individuals, but certainly they were people that made a big, had a big impact on me. Well, your own talent, your own work uh, rates um, also helped out, you know, OK World Champions, as we t- touched on, you've been part of, you know, successful Admirals Cups, one-ton Cups. I've got to ask about the 1988 uh, America's Cup Challenge. Grant Elliott um, wasn't really aware what happened here, and he was uh, quite dumbfounded when I... I told him we rocked up with a 120-foot monohull and the guys from San Diego rocked up in a catamaran. Um, you know, what are your memories of the Big Boat Challenge in 88? It's, it's quite extraordinary to us outsiders. What was it like oh, to be yeah. in, in on the middle? Brilliant. Absolutely. I loved every moment of it. And, um, I, I, again, that came about for me on the back. We'd won the Admiral's Cup uh, at, what, 87 in, in, uh, in, in the UK. Came back, Fade, Sir Michael Fade decided they were going to have a whack at a Dita Gift Challenge. And I got asked to be part of the crew and, and I was lucky enough to get the nod to be the tactician on the boat, which was an easy job against the cat, but that's another story. <laughs> but the, the byproduct of that project, I mean, face value the project, you were never going to win. You were never, ever going to beat a multi-hull in, in that mono-hull. But what it did do, it pushed the technology and, and yeah. that boat, it had its issues, but it set New Zealand up in terms of what happened 10 years later in terms of how do you build a boat out of exotic materials that won't f- fall apart? How do you build sails? How do you build battens for the sail? Carbon fibre masts, the use of carbon fibre and technology. And and really the, the, the big benefit really of that investment was you know, 1995 and 2000. So, and, and that really set up that sort of legacy of, of intellectual knowledge that, that the, certainly in the America's Cup that New Zealand gained at that time. But, you know, the, the, big, the big reminder to me, and, and in fact, we guys that were on the crew of that thing, we're mates for life. And, and to this yeah. day, you know, I look, even down at Team New Zealand now, you've got the Salthouse Brothers. They, they were on that boat. Grant Loretz was on the boat. So, it, and when we get together and, you know, socialise, we still talk about 
living in Coronado in San Diego, going to Buller's Bar and causing havoc. And Jim Blair was our trainer. You know, he used to be with Auckland Rugby and, and some of the antics. Because we lived there for six months. It was a community. Makes for life. I, I loved every moment Brilliant. of the Big Boat Challenge. Not so much the court case and all the America's Cup stuff, which is normal with the Cup. But it was more lifestyle and what you were dreaming about and, and you know and, and living in San Diego was God, not not all bad. <laughs> yeah, you did quite well out of it, didn't you? Fantastic stuff. Uh, Peter, in in, um, in the cricket change room, uh, players will actually name their bats and sometimes they number them. Um, you obviously named boats, so you had propaganda in eighty seven and then you had Pinter in the one ton cup and name a couple, yeah. Uh, did you did you have a favourite boat that you think? Wow, that was a yeah. You know, we that was a beauty. Propaganda was great. Great right name. Were you yeah. emotionally tied to any boat over another, over others? No, not really. Um, you know, the boat's just a tool, really. And and you you know they come out of the boat shed looking like piece of furniture, and your role is to bust it and beat it up and make it fast. <laughs> Probably uh-huh. when you know you think of. The boat I, that I first won with, that was a very simple, low-technology boat. Probably out of the three, you know, the dinghy and Propaganda and, and Pinta, probably Propaganda, she, that boat was unbel- in that time, was incre- an incredible boat. It was the best mm. kill boat in the world at that time. It was voted boat of the year. And certainly once we got to the UK, and we had a hell of a crew on there, because um, it was right on the back of um, KZ7 and Fremantle and and a lot of the learnings from Fremantle, more about team discipline, to be honest, but also how to develop a tool, came out of Fremantle straight into the propaganda campaign and the trials here in Auckland. And once we got to England, um, that thing was quick. If the breeze was on at any time we're above about uh, 9 or 10 knots, we, we were off. And there was quite a bit of um, quite a bit of banter between the Kiwis, Aussies, and, and the Poms, obviously, um, because it, it was in you know it's in cows, it's it's their patch if you're sailing against the English. So to actually be able to go out there and foot it with them and 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 beat them was the first time ever for New Zealand. And propaganda was special. Peter Lester is our Saturday session legend. Let's talk about your broadcasting career. You've done a brilliant job over a generation now. Um, taking a sport that can be very um, complicated, um, you know, full of terminology. The average person might not uh, get their head around. Massive advancements in technology too. But the first day, how did the opportunity come about, right? It was during America's Cup. Did it catch you by surprise? Pure luck. Again, you know, I was at the Johnny on the spot, right place, right time. It actually happened in 92 in San Diego. I was in San Diego at that time working for the Spanish. I was their coach. Um, and they got eliminated at the quarterfinal stage of the Louis Vuitton Cup. And um, Dennis Harvey, who was the producer for, te- television New Ze- for the Television New Zealand coverage, um, we were knocked out. I was I was about to come home, and he said, "Oh, you know, would you like to just come and be um, do expert commentary? You know, do the with with the coverage back to New Zealand." Well, it took me about thirty seconds to make a decision on that, and I said, "Oh, yeah, that that'd be cool. I hope I can, you know, hope I could, hope I could string it together. It could be a real hands up." But anyway, 
Um, and and I was again fortunate at that time. Got, got into the role. Greg Clark, the Aussie, you know, who, who did the rugby calls here. He's moved yes. back to Australia now. Greg was the presenter. He was the, the, the front man. And we're mates. We're still mates. And, and certainly yeah. when there's a rugby game on, there's plenty of banter goes on on my, uh, <laughs> on my text machine from, from Clarkey. But Greg was just great with me, you know, in terms of asking the right question, just drawing out, trying to draw out the technical side and, and try and sort of put it into language that, you know, makes sense and, and try and so that normal people can understand the terminologies. Because you're right, it is a, there is a lot of jargon technology. And and Tom Schnackenberg, who um, who was a at still is a legend of our sport in terms of an intellect. Tom was the other commentator, so that was the first time. And you know I've done every America's Cup since. Just just again being you know able to be available to do it. And I've, I'm very passionate about the America's Cup. I love it. I love what it stands for. I love the drama. Never yep. get upset. Don't, don't be offended by the America's Cup because you know when the racing starts, it'll race its socks off in New Zealand, even the next one in Barcelona will, because of the intrigue and because we're bloody good at it as well. And we have a, you know, I've touched, touched on the industry. The New Zealand performance marine industry is fantastic. And their contribution way back in 92 was significant. And, and even now, you know, as we sit as we sit here today, I mean, Team New Zealand are making big decisions about their their final big decisions on their boat that'll that'll race, um, you know, in two years' time. And I, I love that te- the technology side. Um, where are you heading? What are you going to do? The decisions that have been made right here this week probably will determine whether New Zealand are successful or not in two years' time. And I love that. I love the intrigue of you know, putting putting the designers and the sailors under heat to come up with something special. Well, Peter, I'm I'm listening to the destinations that you go to as a sailor, and I'm very jealous. I think I chose the wrong sport. Yeah, you might. Uh, with <laughs> some of the destinations, <laughs> you, you might have. Or where you went to. But what, what I want to ask you, and what, what what intrigues me is, you know, you've been a high performance manager, you've been a coach uh, of some teams. What goes into a, a really great uh, sailing team? What are the what are the secret recipes you reckon? Uh, probably no different to, to a cricket team, to be honest. Just belief, and and you know work hard for your mates. Leave your ego and your you know at the door. If if like if you can't be a team player, um, don't pull out individuals. You if, again, if you look at the big teams, Admirals Cup. Uh, America's Cup, especially. I mean, obviously, you have your rock stars. You, you have your, you know, your Cootses and your Peter Burlings. But you will never hear Dalton talk about too much the individuals. It's about the team. It's about the the you know the person cooking the meals at lunchtimes is as as important as the tactician. The guys that are doing that beautiful engineering or 3D printing for the boat are as important as the, as the, the trimmers on board. Uh, so what a modern America's Cup team, you're going to end up with about 150 people. If any, any group of that group of that team of 150 screw up, make a bad call, it's going to affect the team and, and reduce your chances of winning. And the, the, the other thing that I think Sailing does really well, and, and it's come out through debriefs, obviously, is 
the, the necessity to keep developing through the regatta, even if it's the finals of the America's Cup, introducing new technologies, new, new systems, new beliefs, new ways of doing things. And even the last America's Cup here, you know, Team New Zealand were still putting little tweaks and, and doing little technical pieces on and off the water right up to that last race. And, and unless you have the capacity within your team to do that, you're probably not going to be successful. Peter Lester, one last one from me. Um, you, your expert commentator, I'm, I'm guessing, uh, let's go, PJ's alongside you. Uh, you get to commentate your dream sailing team. I, I want you to put you on the spot. Sailors across any nation over the last generation or so that you've been around, who, who's at the helm, who's your tactician, from a grinder, who, like, go on, give us some names. On your dream team. Um, you might oh, ruin some friendships team. here, but that, they'll make good radio. Uh, I reckon, um, you know, I, I yeah, I, that's a hard one. I think Peter Burling, in terms of his helming that we have here now, helming and intellect, because he, he, he you know, he's, he's a sportsman, but also he's a, essentially an engineer, a very bright guy. I think as a helmsman, once you get off the start line, I think Burling's hard to beat. In terms of, um, in terms of, you know, uh, the what can I, the sledging, the the intrigue on the water, <laughs> love them or yeah. hate them, Russell Coots is hard to beat. Russell Coots being honestly yes. the Brit, I mean, man, they 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 are at another level. But I still think Burling, in terms of when you look at raw talent, and then the ability to translate that into a foiling boat. The, the, where, why I hesitate is the sport's gone through this revolution from dinosaurs like I sailed to these foiling boats. And, and you look at the sport around the waterfront or around the world of um, these young people sailing boats that get up in foils and go three times as fast as what I, I could have ever, ever envisaged. Different skill set. Then, then you look at, you, you know, you look at um, someone like Jochen Schumann, the, the East German that came out of East Germany and won, uh, you know, Finn Gold Cup and, and Olympic gold medal in 76 in Montreal. That was a hell of a achievement. You think of 1976 coming out of East Germany, going to Canada to your first Olympics and winning a gold medal. A hell of a achievement by, by a super person, by the way. You have to look at Dennis Connor. I mean, love him or hate him, love him or hate him, you, you know, what Connor achieved in terms of winning, losing the America's Cup, winning it again and then losing it, phenomenal. Um, yeah. In terms of Team Boss, I think it's hard to look, hard to look past Ernesto Bertarelli, you know, the, the Swiss who won the Cup here. Whether you like what happened here in, what, 2004, Bertarelli is... Is a, is a team boss to be feared because he's he's bloody good at it, you know. And and I put Grant Dalton up there as well. In terms of guys that make the boat go fast, trimmers, um, Kevin Shubridge, who's you know the COO at, at Team New Zealand. In his time, he sailed on propaganda with a brilliant trimmer, very quiet, very calculated sailmaker by trade. So he knew what he was looking for in terms of sail shapes. I I, I always had Shuby. Um, right up there. In terms of Bowman, um, that now not so much now because you don't have them so much. But in the older America's Cup boats, the person on the bow of the boat called you 
on the start line, um, had to do all the mechanical functions, the spinnakers up and down and jibs up and down. There was a guy called Alan Smith, Kiwi, um, who now lives in Perth. Just a, an absolute machine, in great condition, good multi-sporter, and, and, a, and, a, and a top bloke. I, I, I would put Smithy up there. A lot of Kiwis in there. Uh, John Bertram, the Australian, obviously for you know winning the America's Cup in '83 off off Dennis in, in um, Newport, Rhode Island, uh, with Australia too. You, you have to put Bertram up there. Look, I could go on forever. Our sport. Yeah, what's a, incredible, what an incredible list of names, people. A, incredible list yeah, of names incredibly. that you know some you competed against with. You commentate on. Um, it's been a it's been a wonderful um, you know career today and long may it continue. Barcelona in a couple of years calls no doubt Peter angling there. Sounds like yeah, Grant well, Elliott wants to come with you. I don't know if you need a little researcher. Happy to get in a boat with you anytime, Peter. Louis Vuitton. Do we get one of those handbags afterwards as well? <laughs> you might get clipped round the ear with it. <laughs> um, look. Talking, talking to the you know to adults and the team at the moment about uh, Barcelona. Love to be there, and uh, I'd love to have one more go. You know, with Olympics one more. and um, uh, Olympics and America's Cup. It's uh, I'm very passionate about it. I and I I think what it what it stands for is what I really love. Um, and for a country like New Zealand to have achieved in the America's Cup. Um, Theatre, what what New Zealand has achieved. I don't know if Kiwis really get get their head around it in terms because it's it's brutal. It's a brutal game, and you're up against some of the best industrial countries in the world. You know, the US, the Brits, um, the the Italians, um, and, and the French when they're in there. And and, and and I've already talked about the Swiss. You know, with their, their ability, and then you 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 put Formula One over the top of that of their contribution to those European teams. The next America's Cup will be fantastic. Yeah, it will be. Uh, Peter, it, it's been absolutely fascinating, and we are uh, extremely lucky to have you on the show. I love it when you said no egos in a team. You leave that at the door. Always put the team first. You know, Everyone in the team is, is important, and to, to hear about community and how important that's been for you to actually get to, to the level you have. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, we could speak to you for hours. And um, listen, I'll, I'll send you my number so that you can text me when we're leaving for Barcelona. And I will. Um, uh, I wish I could show you the, the pictures that Daniel McCarty has been drawing. Good mind mapping. He's been drawing on his uh, pages uh, images boat. of boats. Boat. Beautiful. Absolutely. I want to go sailing. I want to go sailing. Peter, it's a treat. Thank you so much. All the best. My, Thanks, Peter. My pleasure, guys. Have a good one. Cheers. We will. Peter Lester, our Saturday session legend uh, for this week in association with Somerset. Think new friends, new laughs, and a new home. Think Somerset Retirement Villages, somerset.co.nz. One thing's for certain, I'm never going to be a designer uh, when it comes to sailing. <laughs> they're, they're pretty village boats. Uh, back after this, 16 away from 12. 12 minutes away from 12 o'clock. Coming up a little bit later after 12 o'clock, we're going to talk uh, the Black Ferns up against England in the Rugby World Cup final. Uh, England quite firm favourites at the TAB. How can they not be? They've won 30 games in a row. They beat New Zealand, what, putting 40 and 50 on them uh, this time last year. That was up north. Uh, all the expectations on them, Grant. I'm clearly just building all the... I'm heaping all the pressure on the Roses. Uh, it's, it's a, it'll be a choke job, won't it? It'd be a choke job if they don't win, right? Well, well 
Yeah, it will be. And we've seen teams choke. We've seen a lot of teams choke this week. I, I think it's going to be the crowd. The crowd getting behind the Black Ferns. That's going to be the difference. Mm. Sold out. Not many people think uh, thought that it would actually be sold out. It's fantastic. So we've so seen there was more more demand than they actually had seats available. Yeah, Women's Cricket World Cup at the MCG. Um, that got sold out. And that was a, a Katy Perry performance as well. But it's great to see everyone getting behind, uh, you know, women's rugby. And uh, hearing Kendra Coxedge this morning, you know, she said, this is going to inspire a lot of young girls to play rugby and become a black fern. I know that I was inspired watching the Cricket World Cup in 92 when I was 13. I decided then and there, I was like, right, that's what I want to do. I want to play in a World Cup. And uh, great to see packed out crowd. And the Roses, that, that Eden Park, when it's packed out crowd, it is so noisy. It's vocal. Mm. They've got a, a very organized uh, forward pack, the, the Roses, and I think that that's going to be the, the tough bit, isn't it, yeah, uh, up front? Yeah, they're, How are they're, we gonna... they're a gnarly budge. But I think it's also a little bit unfair. Um, I've heard criticism, and they're a bit boring. They only play a certain way. You don't... You don't win 30 tests by being one-dimensional. But I'll, we want to run a, a, a quick unscientific straw poll. Send in your score prediction to us on double eight double three. Go on, double eight double three. send in your score predictions. Uh, we want to see uh, what the, the pulse of the nation is right now. Back after this. It is six minutes away from 12 o'clock. Uh, we want your uh, unscientific poll uh, nominations for the score of the uh, Black Ferns England World Cup final. Go on. Uh, we want to find out uh, how you New Zealand are feeling about this one. Uh, here's one from Brendan who uh, writes, 31 all at full time, Black Ferns to win an extra time, 34th. Oh, Brendan, I'm stop not, it. I'm not sure if my uh, beating heart could deal with that. What about going beyond extra time to sudden death and then beyond that to the kicking the competition? kicking comp. I'll get Grant Elliott to explain the kip- kicking competition. After our uh, ad uh, break at the top of the hour, because you'll know that. Yeah. So now, I yeah. will. <laughs> As I feverishly go to my keyboard. He goes to his laptop to find out. So, unscientific poll time. We need to know. Double eight, double three. That's where you send your text messages to. We just want your score, your prediction. It can't be that difficult. We will catch up with uh, Mona Lisa uh, Urquhart um, after 12 o'clock, a multiple World uh, Cup winner with the Black Ferns. Talk about the game in more detail. We'll have our workhorse of the week. Uh, nominations in association with Midas Agritise. Also have some uh, live racing from Ricketons. Just ticked over 12 o'clock into the final hour of the show. We'll catch up with uh, Clado to preview what they've got coming up after one on the good oil. We'll have a couple of uh, racing or races from Ricketon, one due to go. That's race number two in just a moment. This is the last uh, stragglers getting into the gate. Uh, we'll cross once uh, they have uh, got into position. Uh, Clado to preview what's coming up after one o'clock. Uh, Mona Lisa Urquhart to talk about the uh, Women's Rugby World Cup final. We'll also have our Midas Agritires uh, Workhorse of the Weeks, our uh, real nominations. And I've got a couple of non-nominations. Uh, I, I need to throw some... You love a non-nomination. At, at a couple of teams. Uh, keep your uh, suggestions coming through on double eight double three. We're running our unscientific poll, courtesy of you at SCNZ. Uh, the final score of the Women's World Cup final. I'd love to know how you're all feeling. Uh, ahead of that uh, big match at a sold-out Eden Park. I think we can cross now to Rickerton Park. It is uh, race number two. Good luck to all the tipsters out there, but uh, good luck even more so to, to Lucky Viking. Quite an entertaining race, wasn't it, Daniel? When the horse came out with no jockey on it. There, there was a horse. It to the front and almost uh, got over the line first, number 16. Number that 16. looks like a Shetland pony. It's a tiny little horse. Number 16, Bridget Town. 
Well, Bridget Town, I will forever remember you. The other three, I'm not sure. Uh, so four, edging three and two. They're the uh, first, second and third on uh, race number two. Yeah, the jockey got well, in gate 14. Where is he? We're just looking at just the, the review replay. now. He, he replay. almost stood up. I, I don't know if the, the horse sort of jolted him up, but it's sort of... He went to go out the gate, and or maybe he's been dining at Daniel McCarthy's eatery, and he couldn't get out. He's too wide. Good luck um, explaining that to the owners. Hope he's okay. But uh, you certainly enjoyed watching the horse with. Well, I was asked there were ago. questions that came out again. Is it, is this a win? If it wins without a it jockey, be. it should be. Came second though. No, um, certainly not. You need a jockey. You need a jockey. Well, clearly you don't because it came second and ran a great race <laughs> without a, the jockey. Need a jockey to be in the money. Uh, Grant Elliott looking to change the rules of horse racing. What if the jockey dismounts mid-race and lands it and sticks it sort of gymnastic style? Should your uh, horse be allowed to carry on and finish? Because that would be very hard. High degree of difficulty jumping off a horse. I think you get to choose whether you want want a jockey or no jockey for the race. What about if jockeys can swap horses? It's like sort of like a pirate. Take over another... We're getting really weird. It's five and a half minutes after 12 o'clock. We've got to get to a break uh, because we're going to catch up with um, multiple world champion. Uh, a player who scored a, in a World Cup final against England. Uh, Mona Lisa Urquhart's going to join the program shortly. Uh, Mona Lisa Codling uh, during her playing days uh, to go over uh, the World Cup final uh, between the Black Ferns and England. Uh, that is uh, still to come. We'll have our Midas uh, Workhorse of the Week as well. We'll catch up with Clado, find out what's happening after one. Uh, and we'd love to get uh, more of your nominations or suggestions for what you think the scoreline's going to be between the Black Ferns and England. Go on. We want to run an unscientific poll. Uh, double eight, double three. Go on. Uh, during this uh, break, send in your uh, score predictions and we'll see how um, the SNZ... Uh, audience is feeling about this uh, World Cup final 6 after 12, back after this break. 10 minutes after 12 o'clock. I uh, should have done this prior to the break. My apologies. Now sporting headlines for the hour. Let's start off with the bad news. If you're unaware, Australia are through to the Rugby League World Cup final. Having beaten New Zealand by 16 to 14, my energy levels uh, accurately reflect how we should feel about this result, Grant. Yeah, you were pumped at the start of the day. At the half, it was 14 points to 10. The Kiwis were excellent in the opening 40 minutes. But Australia shut out New Zealand in the second. Scored a try to win 16-14. New Zealand did have some moments at the end. Not good enough to score. Good luck, Australia. Even more luck to Samoa. And England here. Don't worry about them. The All Blacks, mind you, have made nine changes to the starting lineup that accounted for Wales last weekend, with seven new players being introduced to the run-on side, as well as uh, the Barrett brothers shifting positions in the back line. Mark Talia has been handed a debut on the wing. Finlay Christie gets uh, a run at number nine, while Anton Leonard-Brown returns in midfield. Uh, first time he started since returning from an elbow injury that uh, uh, had him crock for a long time. And to cricket we turn, where uh, wet weather is forecast for the T20 World Cup final in Melbourne between Pakistan and England, but some forward thinking could save the tournament showpiece event. Sunday's forecast looks dire, between 25, uh, up to 25 mils of rain expected, according to the Bureau of uh, Meteorology. Fortunately, there is a backup day available should the match not go ahead, with Monday representing a reserve day, but there is also a strong case of rain there too. For the knockout matches in the tournament, a minimum of 10 overs per side is needed. Not 5, 10 to constitute a match. 
Uh, if the game begins on Sunday and there is a reduction of overs, but play does not have a chance uh, to restart due to weather, then the game will resume as a 20-over contest on the reserve day. Clear as mud? Clear as mud, Grant? It is clear, but... If worst comes to it, though, England and Pakistan will be declared as joint winners. There'll be no bogus someone hit more boundaries through the offside on a Tuesday morning whilst having a cup of tea. What's not clear to me is why is it 10 overs? Normally it's only 5 overs to constitute. I know they say that's a cool game. Because it's closer to a T20 game? And it's a grand final? But in the pool games, if you play a 5-over game, that constitutes a game. So you have found something in the rules that you can grumble about. Excellent. That's what I was after. It is now 13 minutes after 12. Terrific support from Farah Palmer there to work it back to Jensen. This is Marsh bearing the tactic and going for the cross kick wide. Effective too. Lovely offload by Roscoe. This is Codling. Codling for the corner. Codling to score. Mona Lisa Codling. Her second try of the tournament. Her third in all. Oh, the memories, the memories. I wonder how our next guest feels about hearing her own try from a World Cup final against England, uh, no less. Uh, Mona Lisa Codling back in those days. Now Mona Lisa Urquhart joins the programme, a multiple world champion. Welcome to the show, Mona Lisa. Are you smiling after hearing that? Welcome, Mona Lisa. Oh, honestly, I am. I haven't touched a drop of alcohol yet because I am still fizzing. <laughs> I am so excited and I want to be clear. There's still a, you know, still a good seven hours to go, so I don't want to peak too early. Was it fair to say you've woken up like, like, like you're a six-year-old and it's Christmas morning? Like you've got up at like five and you're waking your parents up like, get up, get up, give me presents. Um, yes and no. Like I've had to organise some tickets. Some after we've got parties going on as well, gatherings because obviously there's a lot of old girls um, in town, and uh, it's just such a big celebration of rugby at the moment. How could you not be excited? Um, number one for me is actually waiting for Auntie Dee to turn up and be my babysitter, so I, that's the last thing checked off my list because it's all about <laughs> the black friend <band> tonight. <laughs> Overall, is this, is this tournament sort of gone ab- above your expectations? Not just the black ferns on the field, but sort of how New Zealand's got behind it. Not at all. We're a country of champions. Where you know across the board, even with, you know outside of women's rugby, uh, there's been a lot. You know, we're so used to success. The great thing about this tournament being in New Zealand as well is that everyone gets to experience what we've known all along. And so, friends and family that have come to previous games and supported us, and even overseas, it's it's such a great. Um, product the women's game because it's so different from the men's and I'm just glad that everyone's on the same journey as us as well and I had to take a bit of a break after retiring and I got a bit sick of rugby but the last few years has just been amazing. Mona Lisa uh, you were were part of a Black Ferns team that won 24 consecutive uh, games between 2002 and, and 2009. Going into the the final of the World Cup here today what do these? Uh, um, what do what do they have to do as a team to really get up for what is going to be quite a struggle against a strong Roses team? Um, biggest thing is like because I, I, I was part of four World Cups, so each World Cup was different. I went from young to old. This one, it's about their culture. They would have woken up. They've already done all the fitness. There's no other game. Today's it. 
Um, the biggest thing is just to try and even at your temper, you don't want to play the game too early. Girls have got to get their hair done, moves sort of down pat, remembering that. And just the biggest thing is to just enjoy the occasion. You know, a lot of these girls might not ever get to play a World Cup again, especially at home. And so enjoy the game. But, you know, as I said earlier, you don't want to play the game too early. Yes, there's been a lot of history, but it doesn't matter coming into this game. The sun is shining. We play a great brand of rugby. And the girls, to be fair, since even day one of this tournament, they've just been getting stronger and stronger. And you can see that in mm. every single game. Uh- Grant did raise that consecutive win streak you're involved in, 24 games. England's currently on a tier of 30 straight games. Can, can a streak know, like that weigh you down? Can you can you can that weigh you down as, them, a, as a team? Yeah, yeah. Why I so? think for them, yes. I um I personally never lost. I'm, I'm a 38 no <laughs> with four World Cups, so I actually wasn't part of the two losing games in that dynasty 2000, sort of late 98 was my first one. But for England and how they've, they've poured millions, their mindset, they've never beaten. They've, they've won a World Cup, but it was against Canada. And I actually watched that um, pool game that they drew um, in France. I happened to be there. But, uh, hey, they will want to beat New Zealand, especially in New Zealand, but in a World Cup final because they haven't done it. Well, 12 months ago, in fact, just you know, a week or two beyond 12 months ago, that they punished New Zealand to the tune, I think, of close to 100 points over two tests. They were excellent. Uh, New Zealand are back home in front of a vociferous home crowd, of course. But on the field, what improvements have you seen in 2022 as New- the Black Ferns have been able to benefit from a, a fuller calendar, more games, more time together to build combinations? How have you seen New Zealand grow on the park this year, you think? Well, uh, they chopped and changed a lot of the team, and once they settled on a team and they've settled on a sort of like a 15 or 22, um, all you want to do is get your combinations going. Um, yes, there was the disappointment of last year, but it's a completely different team, and the talent in the side is that, you know, you can change a culture. They were great rugby players beforehand. They just needed to get out of the funk that they were in and get the values back up. And um, I can tell you from being in a camp like that, we didn't have a lot of time together, even when, with our World Cups. We played mm. every four games for a test, not every seven. So they've got the luxury of the extra three games going into these this tournament. And um, they'll just be wanting it just as much as everyone else. We've got the firepower. But the great thing for me, I guess, is the set piece and also the belief that they can get themselves you know, they can crack, like, the French defence. Wasn't that amazing? They were a class team, but mm. we still managed to win. And they'll get a lot of confidence from that. Do we, Monalise, do we need a score first to put a little bit of a scare uh, on the Roses today? Um, it's, I just think we need to start well, whether we score mm. or not first. Obviously, that's ideal, because we've actually gone into that game against Australia, you know, 17 points down. And then with the French, we were down on there. We don't really want to start from behind with the English because they will keep that lead. So main, main, we don't really want the, you know, 10-plus down going into it. But, hey, it could be an absolute trouncing of us to them, but you just never know. <laughs> That's the beauty of this game and um, the fact that we've got, we're lining up against England. 
Yeah, the semi-finals were just superb. Uh, that New Zealand-France game, uh, one of the best games I've seen in a while, just the tension, the drama, how it all finished. You know, absolute devastation on, on, on the French players. That's a joy for the home side. The other semi-final probably didn't get uh, focused on as much, understandably so, by us. But what, what chinks, if any, did Canada uh, expose on England? How do you sort of reflect now on that semi-final? Was it one of those ones where England weren't at their best, but you know, good enough, or or Canada actually showed the way forward maybe against the Roses? I think, um, I think they exposed some chinks. You know, there's always things that um, you, you get out of a game, but going into it, like, they've got such immense pressure. Their, their coach, Simon Middleton, he's pretty much said, if we don't win, we've failed. Can you imagine that sort of pressure for a for a player to have already said that going into a game, like I just, I just think that. But that's the English; they they do that, and it's whether their players are mentally strong enough to carry that and also perform. Mona Lisa uh, Daniel's been asking all our, our listeners to throw in a scoreline. Some uh, listeners Ooh. have said thirty-one, thirty-one at full time. And then going into extra time with I'm the Black a, I'm Ferns not sure I winning. I cope with extra time. 34 31. Cope with extra time. Daniel's also spoken about the kickoff, actually going in through <laughs> through extra time and into a kickoff. Well, how do you see? I mean, that would be phenomenal in front of a full full house, Eden Park. How do you see the scoreline? Uh, well, I picked uh, us over front 20 points, but um, it ended up being one. Honestly, even if it was just one point, I don't think we're going to get the high scores. Um, however, uh, you know, it's either going to be really close or, you know, a 20-pointer. So, um, either way, a one t- <laughs> I'm happy with a win. <laughs> well, 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 maybe someone will speed away from 25 metres out on the right-hand side of the field and crash over in the tackle in the corner to score uh, an all-important uh, final try. Uh, you've done that. What is that moment like? To, to score a try against England in a World Cup final and, and of course, to win a world title. To, to these days, do to, to those memories still live, live so strong and sort of make the hair stand up on the back of the neck? Oh, absolutely. It was, it was funny because we went to the movies the, uh, the day before and we um, it was in a gridiron movie with The Rock in it and it was about leaning in. And um, I I got that ball and I started to run pretty far and the, the English... Uh, back three were on the chase from me and because um, we'd actually failed an attempt to do that um, a couple of phases beforehand and um, and then we tried it again and it worked so um, it was it was neat to score and then it was freezing cold in Canada because we were in Edmonton and because um, I was working at the time for Prime News um, I was you know headlining everywhere and it, it was great but that did remind me that I did look like that I was you know it was like a horse galloping I thought I was running as fast as I could but thanks dad <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic I tell you what I want to be at your house sounds like the party's already started Mona Lisa thank you uh, so much for dropping day uh, dropping by on this really really big day go enjoy it it's going to be one to remember thanks a lot Mona Lisa oh, absolutely thanks for that our pleasure. Uh, Mona Lisa Eckhart, uh, Nay Coddling, uh, back in her day where, um, yeah, she was 30 and I was a player. 30, te- 30 tests, 31s. Wow. Yeah, the, and the try, which I've, I've just seen on YouTube, great try. But <laughs> funny how parents, parents will always uh, get you back down to earth, won't they? <laughs> <laughs> Dean writes, uh, Black Ferns f- uh, 25-17.
Uh, Porsche's second two tries. Bumfart TAB account and will look good again in quotation marks. We got this, ladies. Uh, at least you're fit, unlike the league lads. Bloody joke walking around out of breath. Uh, he writes, so he's obviously a bit grumpy about that result, but uh, upbeat about uh, the Black Ferns. We want to uh, you, you to contribute to our unscientific poll. You just text in a score. It's that simple. How do you see this one going, playing out? Double eight, double three. Go on, uh, send in a line uh, on the score. And maybe a little narrative around the game itself. We'd love uh, to conduct our unscientific poll, which currently right now is clearly in the favour of the home side. What a stunning development that is, Grant. Absolutely shocked that there's a bit of hometown bias. Absolutely love it. We will take a short break. Uh, we'll head to Rickerton for race number three shortly. Uh, 29 minutes after 12 o'clock. Uh, let's continue our unscientific poll. Double eight, double three. Send in uh, your score predictions for the uh, World Cup final uh, between the Black Ferns and England. Um, they might feature in our sporting tips you should probably run a mile from a little bit later. Soon we will cross back to Rickerton Park for race number three. Uh, it's due to jump in 25 seconds. That ain't jumping in 25 seconds now, is it? Um, why do I say this? Because... There's a whole heap of horses, nowhere near the actual gate. So I will get my nominations out, Grant Elliott, for our Midas Agritire's Workhorse of the Week, before we go to a horse race. Who has been working hard to entertain us, the fans? Yes, Midas Agritire's uh, choice of leading manufacturers, Midas Agritire's European quality made affordable. Uh, my non-nominations, of course there are some non-nominations. I would like to non-nominate the England bowling lineup, India bowling lineup, because they didn't turn up. They did not turn up against uh, England. Uh, my nomination for Workhorse of the Week could be the English batsman, but that would be too gracious. But definitely the Indian bowlers. They were, they were not enjoying it. And my second nom- nomination is the Astros. The, base, uh, the Astros, who, get this, popped $388,750 worth, that's US dollars, of champagne after winning the World Series. Oh. They wasted $388,000 worth of champagne. Champagne uh, made by 150 Cent. Well, he didn't make it. He, he owns the company. He needs that. He needs that 388000 I think. 50 Cent? Yeah. Oh, he's had financial issues, has he? Yeah. The irony of being called 50 Cent. Yeah. So, um, they're my non-nominations. I'm sick of... And I'm looking at you now because you've, oh, you, you've won go. a few titles. I'm sure you've done the old champagne squirting. What a waste! Yeah, the super, what a waste of the champagne! Super smash. Give me the champagne. I'll take the champagne and treat it with respect. It's time to cross back to Rickerton for uh, race number three. Uh, I will give my workhorse of the week after the, the Louis completion. Chance number one. Louis Chance number one. Yep. Um, more than a good chance. I think the last is going into the gate. Hopefully they uh, head on in because having a few uh, issues with number five. Sorry, I don't know the name of the horse, but let's cross through our team. It's uh, race number three at Rickerton. Well, that was a gripping finish. Absolutely charging home was number nine, trying to run down the number 14. But it's going to be a photo for first and second, Grant, between and nine third. and 14 and nine. No, it'll be a photo for third between two and eight. So uh, 14 and nine will finish first or second in whatever order. Oh, is it a tie? Is it a kickoff? What do they do now? <laughs> Now that, now, that can be interpreted in many ways. How do you do a, a kickoff? Oh. I think number nine has got it by a nose. By a nostril. By a nostril. So they don't actually have to get the gloves off and go into the stables. Wow, she's just got her on the line. Got her by Stevie Nicks there. Uh, 
So it looks like nine edging 14, and I think two gets third, but that's all unofficial. Uh, good luck uh, for those who had a bit of a wager. How did yours go? Oh, no, it, didn't, it got boxed in somehow. Oh, yeah, I don't know. That ran a terrible that. race. All right. So after my whinging prior to the race for our nom- nomination for our Midas Agritires Workhorse of the Week, uh, me criticising the Houston Astros for wasting $388,000 worth of champagne. Seriously, this needs to stop. No, that does. This needs to stop, sport. Stop wasting champers. Are you saying, are you more, more, more angry? It. So you're saying if they drunk it, you would be happy about that? Yeah, because then there'd be hilarity in the immediate aftermath. Yeah, there'd be a news story, yeah. no doubt. Well, can't we get fizzy? No, oh, don't worry. It seems a waste to me, Grant. I think there is there is a celebration champagne that they, they sell in America. It's not. Well, they didn't supply the Houston Astros with it. I think that, the, yeah, well, maybe the 50 cent champagne, maybe this might be, and I'll Google it, but. I think that they've created a non-drinkable one, just more a celebration champagne. That's not champagne, is it? Champagne's oh. from champ- champagne. Champagne. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. A fizzy... Not the type of drink, it's from where it's sourced. Fizzy celebration drink. In fairness, my, uh, my source of the story is TMZ, so there might be some inaccuracies there. <laughs> um, um, accuracy is generally not their strength. Being first and being overly dramatic and hyperbolic, they're very good at that. They're very, very good at that, aren't they? That's not a joke, mate. That's a statement of fact. There's, there's no there's no bit of for that one. Yes, I think. Anyway, the drama is over. I'm going to stay with the Houston Astros. Workhorse of the week. I, I don't... I, I, for all the wonderful sport that's gone around on, um, this might be a somewhat controversial decision, but I'm sorry. Who, who, who or what has worked harder than this bloke? Uh, Dusty Baker is the manager of the Houston Astros. Great name. We mentioned Dusty Baker last year during the World Series when you, uh, you know, fell in love with the longevity of his sport. Mm. He played baseball. He was in the major leagues for 19 seasons. He played about 2,100 games, 2,100 games over his 19-year career. He won one title in a career that spanned from 1968 to 1986. He won a title with the Dodgers in 19. 19- 81. He uh, became a manager with the uh, San Francisco Giants back in 1993. Uh, he has managed close to 4,000 games now as a manager. Uh, so he has uh, been involved in nearly 6,000 Major League Baseball games. And Dusty Baker is a World Series winning manager now. The storied skipper reached uh, his first four classic back in 2002 with the Giants, lost in seven games. 19 years later, just last year, he returned and Atlanta took down Houston, but uh, this year he's finally won it all uh, with this 2022 uh, title. Baker has gone 40 years between World Series titles. That's the most years between any um, anyone has ever had to wait in the sport. That is a 40-year wait, nearly 6,000 games. My workhorse of the week is Dusty Baker. Uh, thank you, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, Midas Agritires, made in Europe and trusted by leading equipment manufacturers worldwide. A European quality doesn't have to break the bank. Ask for Midas Agritires for your equipment. Grant, have you got your Workhorse of the Week nomination? I've got my Workhorse of the Week. Let me guess, it will come from cricket. It will, actually. Well, kind of. Left field. Do you have a non-nomination? I don't have a non-nomination. Just the Indian bowlers again? <laughs> yeah. Are they a bigger choking nation than South Africa? A shame. Oh, my non-nomination, Ooh. I suppose, would be the um, 
first five from the French women's team, uh, which are, like I feel really bad giving her a non-nomination. But, but you just she had the opportunity of of getting them through the final, and it was just a, a really sad moment when you see. It. Well, great for the the Black Ferns, but really sad for an individual player. My nomination for workhorse of the week has to go to the Pakistan fans. I mean, they've been on the biggest emotional roller coaster. Oh, no, haven't they? I mean, you can't imagine it. Uh, they lost to India in the first game. Shouldn't have. They needed 28 of eight balls, India, and somehow got over the line. So th- that's their biggest game. They lost of, to Zimbabwe. Yeah. Then they lost to Zimbabwe in the second game. By one run. So the fans were abusing the players How and many went rid home? of them. How many went home? How many cancelled their, oh, their trip to Australia? I reckon heaps. There would have been people selling their finals tickets because they, yeah. they go and they're very optimistic. They're, you know, having played in Pakistan, when you win a game, uh, or when we won a game in the Pakistan Super League, it was like we had won the World Cup. And when we lost the game, it was like someone's uh, mum had passed away. Mm. It was, you know, just so somber. They go extreme highs and extreme lows, and that's what the fans have been experiencing. Now they get to the semi final. Somehow South Africa lost to the Netherlands. As I said when we were commentating, as a free trade agreement or a trade agreement was signed then between Pakistan and Netherlands. So thank you. Um, and now they find themselves in the World Cup final. So and they were brilliant to... in that semi-final. They made a, a, a losing um, effort from New Zealand mildly enjoyable, if that makes sense. It looked like a, it was such a great atmosphere. Yeah, and it looked and like it was all due to the Pakistan fans. An Olympic opening ceremony. Yeah. It was like Pakistan were walking through the stadium. Someone was holding up a baby um, <laughs> at the end of the game. Simba style. Simba style. Yeah. <laughs> So that's my nomination. The Pakistan fans, they've gone through an emotional roller coaster. It's uh, Grant's Workhorse of the Week with uh, Midas Agritise, the choice of leading manufacturers, Midas Agritise, European quality made affordable. We will catch up with Clado and crew for a preview after this break. It is 18 away from one. It is almost 30 minutes away from 1 o'clock. This is the Saturday session. Grant Elliott alongside me, Daniel McCarty, Ben Francis, producer extraordinaire. You'll hear his voice before we depart. So to Grant, in just a moment, we will have our sporting punts. You should probably run a mile from to finish, but we will actually go to the guys who know what they're talking about when it comes to punting on horses. Or so they tell us. So much so they gave them a radio show. Clado, g'day, mate. G'day, hello, Clado. Hello, Dan. Hello, Grant. Uh, thanks for that intro. I don't know whether... To be happy about that, or we're <laughs> worried. Clayton, I've got a question to ask you. Um, I hope it's an easy one. Body, it's a big week. He's had a big week. It's been a big week, isn't it? Look, I've been in Auckland. Um, Louis the one who's done all the hard yards on the ground, but what a week. And, man, geez, there have been some highs and lows, and the boys get paid. Man, what a ride that's been with the Punters Club. Man, that has been incredible. They're sitting on about $820,000 in the kitty. Can you get your head around to that? I heard it was four hundred wow. grand yesterday afternoon. What on earth has happened? Well, they picked up a, a win in the last with Cyrus. They picked up over $240,000 off one bet. Amazing. Wow. It is, it is, uh, it is uh, extreme. It is next world. Clayton, why was it such an emotional week? What, was the, what were the, the highs and lows? Uh, well, this is Cup Week. This is our Holy Grail. This is our Melbourne Cup Week. And the best horses have come to the top. Copy that, winning the New Zealand Cup for the second time on Tuesday. Uh, he's a doozy getting the boys get paid up in the Copeland Mile. That, that was a great rush. Uh, yesterday, Sunday, Sun against Muscle Mountain. Man, is 
there was nearly Waverley Star, our bone crusher stuff material. It was the race that just had everything. And Sunday Sun, I don't Brilliant. know how he came back to get up and I was on Muscle Mountain. I like still cried, but what a race. <laughs> and then I was on Majestic Cruiser and Mark Purden uh, was self-assured. He, of course, he took out the SENZ, the race by Grins. So soft spot for self-assured, but yeah. Plato, what happens if there's a tie in a race? I mean, we've got in, in rugby, there's a kickoff. In cricket, I mean, who knows what the rule is now? Yeah, we want um, the horses to have a kickoff. What, what, what's the story with horse racing? Well, different Don't scenarios. Tell me just different, share the pot. You share the pot. So, so dead heat oh. for first, like with, with the ownership, and the owners have got to come first, the stake money. Right. First and hate second. sharing is, anything. Well, first and second is added together. And then they split that. And basically how stake money works, it works on a basis of or ratio of 62.5% to the winner, 20% to the second horse, and 10% to the third, 5%, then 2.5%. So it'll be 72.5% and you'll split that in half. So you're not quite getting the full stake, but you're not getting half of the original stake. You're getting half of the first yeah. two put together. You're not, you're not satisfied, are you, Grant? I'm not satisfied. You need a winner. They have to have something. Well, get the horses back 60 metres or something. Well, put and them in a cage and let them slug it out. Is, see, that, is see, that what you want or something? We have a thing like a photo finish, and you can take that picture down to the megapixels nowadays, so it's really hard oh. to get a dead heat. But when you do, you can guarantee that those noses are right on the line, right on the post of that precise moment. Okay. Well, right. you haven't cheered them up. Maybe you can uh, uh, cheer them up by telling us... Who have you got lined up today on another big day? I'm in here on my own with all my friends. But Louis Herman White, he's down <laughs> on track at Christchurch. I think at the prime position with Maddie Markham, who came up with that $12 shot to win the last at Addington yesterday. So Matt Markham's got a lot to live up to today. And Louis Herman White on course at his 1,000 guineas days. And boys, I tell you what, you want to get around the TV screen this afternoon for race seven. It is the 1,000 guineas, and you're going to see something special here. Legato, number one. She's won three from three, and she's looking to make it four from four. Okay, well, that um, uh, might be stolen right this very second and used in uh, the next uh, section on this program. Thanks, Clado. Have a great day. Thanks, Thanks Clado. Clado uh, and crew coming up after one o'clock, so a fair night, uh, racing fans, nine minutes to go. All right, Ben Francis, Grant Elliott, Daniel McCarty, it is time for our sporting punts you should probably run a mile from. We've been running an unscientific poll courtesy of our listeners, just been asking them to send in a score, uh, send in a score uh, for the final. Boy, oh boy, it's been tight. Uh, Brett writes, 25-24 up the ferns. Most are, t- are tipping the ferns, but nearly all, all in tight games. Yeah, they have All haven't... in tight games. Yeah, they've been now, I don't know w- if within I've been, their point. I don't know if I'm going to get swayed here by um, our, our wonderful audience who we do love and adore. You know what? It was fifty odd to ten and forty to ten last year. That that would be a big comeback if New Zealand were able to beat the side who's won thirty straight games, right? It will be. So is this a cop out, fellas? I'll start. Mona Lisa sounded confident. Very confident. Well, Mona Lisa's a winner. All she's done is win thirty straight mm. matches in her Test career. We all know I'm far more negative, mate. You are. I'm a negative individual. Although, in I, comparison, I arrived very negative today. <laughs> you did. You're, You've cheered me up. You should have got home and had a decent hour, mate. Been professional. Um, how's this for a, for a tip? Either team to win by one to five points. Yeah, that seems logical. Two dollars eighty. Oh wow, those those are decent odds. 
multi that up with that's, that's Legato. My best bet. That's what I believe is the best bet. Um, last week, I said to you, France winning was the best bet. It was paying like $3.20. $3.20. And incredible. And France should have won, right? They should have won. So take that for I think the best bet, one to five, either team to win by one to five, paying $2.80. Great, great punt. If you want to go even tighter, it's $18 for the draw. Just out of interest. Because that's what Grant Elliott wants. He wants it to go to extra time, then beyond sudden death, extra time. Now, we don't we don't have who's going to be leading at halftime and sudden death, extra time, and who wins at the end. Come on, TAB, lift your game. Let's get the, let's get those odds up. Um, how about New Zealand win, winning at halftime and a draw at the end? That's $26. Oh, wow. Um, New Zealand to win by one to five points. Uh, this will be extremely relevant to those who've texted in. Uh, they've all gone really tight wins, and New Zealand to win. Um, that's boosted to six dollars fifty, six fifty for New Zealand to win by one to five. But if I'm to put my neck, stick my neck out, the one I would go with, my best bet is uh, either team to win by one to five, two dollars eighty. Okay, well I was uh, I was trawling through the rugby as well, the Black Ferns, and the one I found was any forward, so jersey number one to eight, in the first, second, and third try scorer, at, and that gives you twelve dollars. So any forward yeah. across both teams well, yeah, across score both one teams. of the first three tries. Yeah. Come on down a rolling mall. A line-out drive. Yeah, baby. Let's give me one of those for granted. Because well, I think, I think the, the English, they obviously dominate in the forwards. They're going to have to play a lot of this game in the forward pack. Yeah. What's, the, what's the weather like in Auckland, Ben Francis? Mona Lisa said it was sun shining, remember? She said it was a great day. Well, I, I'm inside a building and I can't see out any windows where I am because I'm trapped in some, you know, basement. You have so. no, no, you have no windows, no, no natural light. Well, oh, so it's not just us that goes absolutely bonkers for three hours. No. <laughs> mm. How was it when you drove to to work though, Ben Francis? Well, it was awful because I got halfway here and realised I had my partner's car keys, so I had to drive back home and. Drop them back off. And drive back down. So, That's awesome. That's <laughs> good. Uh, the forecast is good. Uh, precipitation, only ten percent chance. So there we go. Running rugby. Mm. So maybe that's why it's twelve bucks. But I don't think it's a bad shout, mate. I, 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 I could see. It could easily see a line out drive being the first try. You don't normally like my bets. because like uh, they one, normally mate. stink up the joint like your feet. But um, no, that's a good one. Ben Francis, what have you got? Can you guys see my jumper? Is it is it a Bradford city? No, top? it's not. No, Scotland the Brave. It's a thistle. Oh, Scotland. I, I, I th- no, yes. no, yes. no the mate. All, the oh, all no, Scottish too. The, the All Blacks are going to pay for not sticking <laughs> with that best team, and they're going to get upset. <laughs> wow. So you're just going the head-to-head punt. What's well, that paying? Uh, it was four sixty last time I checked. Sorry to all the listeners. Yeah, well, don't apologise, mate. It's, he's, in the, he's got his opinion. He's allowed it. Well, don't apologise I mean, for Ben's opinions. If, if that <laughs> comes in, Ben Francis knows more than what, and he can, he can host the show next week. And he can stop moaning about the money he says I owe him from the semi-final. <laughs> Have a great week, everyone. Thanks, Ben. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.